In the White House, President Eisenhower signs the proclamation that makes Alaska's entry into the Union official, nearly 92 years after Lincoln's Secretary of State bought the territory from the Russian Tsar for $7 million. The Alaska Wild Project podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand-selected gear since 1963. The exclusive home of Frontier Gear, built for the rugged Alaskan terrain. Your one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Visit Barney's today at 906 West Northern Lights. Arbor Digital, the forefront of digital assets, cryptocurrencies, and wealth management, providing a low-cost, research-based investment strategy for Alaskans looking to invest their hard-earned money. Visit acminc.com today to put your money to work. Tailored Restoration 24-Hour Emergency Home Services, helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. Serrano's Mexican Grill, two locations, one on Tudor, one on Northern Lights. The Northern Lights location has their new tequila bar. Check it out. Also see their daily specials at serranosmexicangrill.com. TheTreehouseAK.com, located at 341 Boniface Parkway, Alaska's own and grown cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bud tender what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. The Connoisseur Lounge, Alaska's premier locally owned and operated cannabis retailer. Located in the heart of Palmer, Alaska, their cultivated products include Snowcap Romance, Aurora Haze, Superglue, and much more. Find them at theconnoisseurlounge.net. AKO Farms, located in Sitka, Alaska, built from the ground up with concentrates as their single motivation, with exclusive products such as their sugar wax, full-spectrum diamond sauce cards, and more. Ask your local bud tender about AKO. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under the influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For the use of only by adults 21 and older. Keep out of the reach of children, and marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. The Bait Shack, located on Ship Creek upstream of the bridge. Can't miss the bright red shack. They're the go-to fishing gear rental and guide service on Ship Creek. Tight lines and fish on. Come hook into the action with them. Hit them up at thebaitshackak.com. Anchortown Dogs, located on 4th Avenue across from the old 4th Avenue Theater. Look for the blue and gold umbrella. From reindeer dogs to bomb euros, they've got you covered. Anchortown Dogs, your local gourmet hot dog and sausage cart. Crude Magazine, Alaska-based media outlet using the last frontier as a springboard to discover larger truths about the cultures of our great state. Read more at crudemag.com. Lawn Pro AK, Alaska's year-round professional property maintenance team. Services include snow and ice management, weekly lawn care, and more. Get your free estimate today at lawnproak.com. Double Shovel Cider Company, located off of Arctic and 58th, handcrafted Alaskan-made colonial ciders. They also have a tap room downtown on the corner of 5th and E. Stop by today and taste an award-winning cider. 
Lady with a Plan, your own Alaska event planner. From scouting the perfect location to planning the tiniest details, specializing in event management and production for intimate social gatherings. Find Lady with a Plan on Instagram. And then you just go and do the float. Um, I stopped right there. Oh, really? When you hit the highway. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, and yeah. you, so I would take it you've done the Matt Nuska though. Oh, that's got, that's gotta be fun too. Yeah, yeah. Cold. Have you done Campbell yeah. Creek though? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I'm afraid of the shopping carts that are all in. Oh, there. is it? That was oh, the, that was the hazards. where I learned to raft on a tire. Yeah, or the Walmart one. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say just a floating yeah, man with yeah. some cup holders. Yeah, bring a little boat paddle, like the the little um, blue handle with the yellow. From like the eagle, it's yeah. called as like the sea seahawk. The eagle, I think it was uh, the something like that. Yeah. In high school, we used to float or grab one of those little cheap like Walmart raft things. It's like almost like a pack raft, kind of like what, but doesn't really work. And we'd hike up and bicentennial. It's like a one-time use. Yeah, and we'd go up bicentennial <laughs> up there and take take it down some shit. We shouldn't be taking it oh, down. Yeah, and no, it was, was super, it was super fun. Imagine there's a I lot of hospital it. runs that. Resulted from folks underestimating that situation. We like Gumby back then, you know. Yeah, just get after it. You just bounce off the rocks. Yeah, I remember one time I, I would go and I went with my brother and and we would we lived uh, kind of behind the Alpine Apartments and Camel Creek was right there and we would start up at Lake Otis in that little park, and me and my brother went and this was like eighty nine ninety. So there wasn't a lot of construction and stuff like that. The Alpine Apartments, I don't think we were even there. And we would go, and we went all the way. And now I know where it is. It, it, we ended up on C Street behind the railroad tracks back oh, there. Like yeah. It goes over there. Yeah. And we got out because one of the one of the um, tubes like got flat. Yeah. And so we had to walk on the railroad. And I was like, oh, we'll just walk to a street and go use the phone and call mom. We get there, and there's like absolutely nothing. It's just like the railroad and the road. And we're just like... Oh, we're freezing because it's we're like got just shorts on. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Is what? And then this this lady just comes in a van and gives us a ride home. Nice, and, and that was it. <laughs> and we're just like in the car all wet with, <laughs> with the inner tube. The van has windows. It's all good. Oh yeah. yeah Here you go. Was... I, got, I pulled up a quick video. Oh, the Campbell Creek. Oh, there yeah. it is. Then I, I want to go back to the beginning because, like, watch where this raft just drops in there. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. No, that raft looks a lot nicer than the one we had. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't the Seahawk, that's for sure. No, it wasn't a pack raft. Uh, it was just the inner, like a big inner tube. So Luke probably is like, yeah, I, I rafted, but up in the mountain part. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, another funny thing is we one time we wanted to do it all the way from up there at Stuckigan Heights, and we started up there. Yeah. But we started really late, like six at night uh -huh. or seven at night. Oh no! And we got like not even to. Tutor, <laughs> not even a tutor, and like so my boy almost drowned. Brian Mold, shout out to Brian Molds. I think Ryan Cropper, was, I think Ryan was with us too. So I was back in the day. Well, he got in a sweeper and he ended up flipping over, and then he was done and he couldn't raft no more. So we all had to hike out of there, and the mosquitoes were horrendous. <laughs> yeah, and we all just have like little shorts on. So it must have been like what, like uh, the third week of June. Probably we have no shoes, like no clothes, and we're like hiking through the mountain, yeah, like yeah. back up to the car. Oh, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. <laughs> Military yeah. land there. Yes. Well, welcome to Alaska Wild Project <laughs> episode 56. Uh, we have Luke Mel here. Um, his Instagram handle is at Luke Mel. Luke is the author of the Packraft Handbook and an all-around expert. 
<laughs> on everything. He's an expert. <laughs> That's on a little everything. bit of on everything. <laughs> All around expert. What, what, an, what an introduction. Tell me how to cook man. some food. <laughs> it's like, wow. He wrote the book on knowing it all. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Luke. Yeah, you bet. It's like to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you having coming in. I was looking at um, the website with your book. Can we click back on that yep, yep, really on quick? It. And I, what I thought was really cool, obviously the book is really awesome. And, and can you tell people where they could find it, first of all? Uh, for folks in Anchorage, it's at the outdoor retailers like uh, AMH and REI, Tidal Wave. Perfect. And, and Perfect. then I've got it on my website too. Okay. And the yeah. website is? Things think, to look at, uh, but <laughs> look is spelled funny. So, so my brother had a website called Things to Look At, like with the normal spelling. And then just as like a, to tease him, to mock him, I, I, when, you know, when we could first buy domains for like $20, I yeah. bought one that was things to look at, spelled like my first name, which is L-U-C, Yeah, mm-hmm. which is funny. I, you know, like I still think that's funny, but in retrospect, like I have to explain that every single time I tell somebody <laughs> what my site. Yeah. And my brother's site is you not. You sign yourself up for it. Man. I know. <laughs> but and his site is not really like safe for work and by all standards. And so... Some people go to the wrong place and they're like, what is this? Has he got your book for <laughs> oh, cheaper? Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The discount? Yeah. Well, the black what? market version? <laughs> yeah, we got the, he's just photocopies of it for half the price. Three ring binder. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, what I liked is that you have like three versions of it. One's like mm. mm-hmm. the Mountaineer's books and then the regular handbook, and then you have the damaged ones that are cheap. <laughs> <laughs> so did they come damaged, or these are like ones that just got wet and transfer, or what happened there? Yeah, ones that just got damaged in shipment from Canada. These were printed in Canada. Oh, okay. So mm. it's a long trip for them. And the versions Rally. are all the same. It's a little bit misleading, but I, so I self-published the book, and then, and I had 6,000 books made, and then, and I had asked to get published beforehand, the way, uh, this was all new to me, but basically I submitted a proposal. I said, do you, does anybody want to print this book? And they all said, no, there isn't enough of a market. And I said, well, crap, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm. So I did it. And then after selling a bunch, I checked back in and I said, well, I have a better sense for the market. And I was able to sell 6,000 books. And they're like, oh, oh. really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Now you have our attention. <laughs> yeah, because it was a total unknown. Like, And I was guessing, I gave them all the numbers I could, you know, from talking to manufacturers and clubs. And like, here's how many Facebook members are in PacRef Canada and stuff like that. Yeah. But it was still kind of a you know shot in the dark. So the books are, all three of those are you know, 99.5% the same. Just some pages missing on the damage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the <laughs> Mountaineers <laughs> version? So that's the publisher that picked it up. Oh, okay. Yep, and they gave it a, a shiny, sweet cover, and it's got their Mountaineers logo, which I love because of some of my like favorite um, educational outdoors books are from Mountaineers Press. Oh, okay. Oh, what, what are they okay. based out of? Seattle. Seattle. Okay. But they have like um, their mountaineering book, uh, Freedom of the Hills, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the Bible of mountaineering, and then they have another one for avalanche terrain that's like the best text for avalanche oh so they don't have like a bunch they have a bunch oh okay but but those are the ones that you know for me even since high school i was like oh mountaineers oh gotcha got staying alive in avalanche terrain like Mm -hmm. that's cool so so it was cool for me to to kind of feel like i'm part of that family yeah so then it won awards then it won an award national outdoor book award for for a guidebook really yep for instructional book yeah i was psyched Congrats, dude. That's badass. It feels kind of badass. Yeah. You should. 
Yeah. Do you go to like a big like conference or something for that, or do they just like call you? That one was small. Yeah, I think I think Banff has a book award, and I I actually didn't realize that the Banff award was different than the one that I applied for. <laughs> you guys already gave so you this. flew down to Banff to receive it. <laughs> totally. You're like I gotta go hiking. And totally. <laughs> and everything was messed well. up because of COVID anyway. So. But uh, no, that was a big to get that that gold medallion sticker to be able to put that on the books was a big deal for yeah. me. Yeah, it's super that's rad. Cool. And you yeah. go to Wiki and you can find it there. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, well, that's pretty, I was pretty impressed. That's awesome. How, how long did it take to write it? It took a year to write it. Yeah, and it took like fourteen years to kind of build the skill set and and the arc that ended up creating it. Mm-hmm. Do you have plans for any more books? I would really like to do something similar for uh, some of the outdoor ice skating. So that's my new, it's not new. I've, I love, it's like, it's the activity I'd actually like to do more than anything else. It's so much fun for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I noticed when I was, I was looking at your Instagram page on the skating through Eek. Yeah. That looked really, that was like, insane. it looked like, um, not Westchester, but, uh, uh, or the, all the Potter's Marsh. Potter's Marsh, mm. but like next level. Yeah, that's a good, yep. So there's a, so I guess you guys, it looks like you're skating Ski Lack right here. I got a video up. Yep. Yeah, Ski Lack's a prize. That's, that's right between Kenai and then the the um, south boat launch right there, right? Yeah. Where that was. Yeah. Is, is a lot of those times where you go skating on those, you have to go early in the season before it gets all snowed up, or are they pretty... That's most reliable is to get it early season when there's cold and clear weather and no snow. But yeah. even on this one, the video you're watching, you can see those patches of snow and you can, so, so snow can get blown off. That'll happen throughout the winter a few times. It'll just be a, a refresh if there's a massive windstorm. Oh, okay. And then even warm temperatures, like on Ski Lack specifically this year, there was a warm window where it got warm enough that the surface snow got saturated melted out and then turned into good ice again awesome. wow so it's like a crust layer is there a name for that type of skating or is it just yeah yep it's it's called nordic skating nordic skating and, oh, okay and it's yeah. it's yeah. different in that it's a longer blade and a flatter blade so it doesn't have the same turning radius mm -hmm. so it's way less playful but it's more stable and that extra length helps smooth out the ice underneath you so rough ice which is so much of outdoor ice uh, it's easier to skate on these Nordic blades. And those detach, right? The blade comes off and... Yeah, it's a pretty clever design. It's just like a like a steel, like a knife steel blade uh, vertical on an aluminum platform. And that aluminum platform, you know, it's aluminum. It's easy to drill holes into. So you can put pretty much any binding you'd want on that. Like, oh, okay. They're made for a cross-country skate ski binding. Me and... Some of my friends here, Sarah, my wife, we're using downhill bindings, downhill boots. I noticed oh, that. Really? The boots look like snowboard boots or something. I was like, what? They're AT boots. Yeah. yeah. Downhill boots. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. my uh, Nick Nick had some of those. We went skating on, we go skating with the family on Christmas Day Nice down to Westchester. And he had borrowed some from one of his buddies that was like, but that boot was more like a cross-country ski boot, yeah. it seemed like. That's and like and he walked in with boot. those. I was like, did you bring skates? And he's like, yeah. And he just was like, and put them on and went. I was like, cool. But he was saying that it's different than like hockey skates. Like it was like, he had to like figure it out how to go. You yeah. Know? I've been, so I've been doing some research and anticipating uh, writing this book, you know, in the next year or two. And 
one thing that was super cool for me to learn was how so a bunch of the skating technique and and equipment evolved in northern europe mm -hmm. and depending on where you were in northern europe you had different state skating conditions so like in england they had these small ponds and so those skaters got really interested in <coughs> playful turns and getting on mm -hmm. the outside edge yeah. and, and actually like etching figures that's where the figure comes from figure skating it's not like doing trip you know it's not like doing spins and anything it's it's car like, carving etching into the ice surface oh. and then in like the netherlands where they have all these canals and long open waterways they're just covering ground just it's, a, it's an actual form of um travel yeah but yeah that's right right yeah but because so the the skates kind of split in their evolution there and and speed skating it's, it's much more closely related to nordic skating and that you've got that long straight blade and you're just covering ground like you're not able to make sharp turns just haul ass yep yeah what are some of your favorite trips on the nordic skates the prize for me is when we can do overnight trips with big miles and, and <clears throat> part of why that's a prize is because it's so easy for things to go wrong yeah like <laughs> a headwind a two inches oh, of snow mm. you know open water like any of those assumptions you make like so i do a lot of research ahead of time and try to guess conditions and i'm pulling in different resources to to, to make this best guess but you're still looking at you know 100 miles of ice and what are the odds that you can correctly assess 100 miles of ice yeah and what are the odds that the wind doesn't pick up and that it doesn't snow like or get too warm whatever yeah so when I get one of those, it feels like it feels like I've really accomplished something. Yeah. And honestly, for me, it's it's kind of replaced the fix I used to get from some of the steep ski mountaineering, like going up big mountains mm -hmm. or whatever. Those were accomplishments, but had a lot more risk involved, like a lot more exposure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. ice skating, it's like I can stop ice skating, you know, or yeah. I can fall even fall through the ice. But I've trained, like I know how to get out of the ice. We're carrying safety equipment. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. The, the trips I've done, a, a couple from Selawick to Kotzebue, so that's okay. like 100 miles Dang. of ice. Wow. And then from Bethel down to Good News Bay, we had about probably about 160 <coughs> miles of ice on yeah. that one. Just open water. And then a trip out of Katmai, in the Katmai National Park, where we had a, a loop that we did that was about 60 miles of ice in three days or so, three or four days. Sweet. And it's so you're so carrying cool. all your gear with you? Full backpack. Yeah. But you're, you know, there's no vertical gain. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's by flat. definition. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think the physics of it, I remember from high school physics, they told us that the closest you could get to a zero friction environment on earth is ice with a veneer of water on it. Oh. Oh. Which is something those that hockey skates do. They've got that little, that arc in the center of the Yeah. Blade, yeah. The bevel there. That bevel and that, mm -hmm. that like makes a little micro seam of water right the pressure under there ah. so yeah it's you're carrying a pack but it's like as as efficient as it possibly can be yeah on those blades are that you're using these nordic blades do they still have that same sort of arc or no, are they it's flat? A flat blade it is okay and i don't know if that's just because that's easier to make uh-huh or if there's some some in, intentional design behind it yeah but it is convenient for us because we can sharpen them on our own right oh. yeah yep uh, would you bring like a stone or something? I I wouldn't bring one on a trip, but but I have wished like after f even forty miles I can really lose my edges on those. Mm -hmm. But I sharpen them at home, and I've brought a little like a snowboard um, edge tuner. 
steel yeah. edge tuner. I brought that on a trip, but not used it. So would our like speed sticks for sweet get, stick? Yeah, for getting our hockey sticks, our skates. Like if your skate gets damaged mid game, we can use a little speed stick to kind of give it. Have you seen those? Too. I need to know about that. Su- yeah. It's called a sweet stick. I always called them speed sticks. Yeah, it's a sweet stick, and you can get it at um, Champions Choice. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, actually pull it up. It just looks like a little V. And then you could just you just run it across the blade, yeah. Or you can run it this way or this way, so that you, whatever like sharpen you're trying to do, to deeper. Yeah. yeah, there it is right there on the on the right. There's two different versions actually. There's that plastic one, and then there's a the little pink one. Like something like this. Yeah, that's one. The pink yeah. one is the sweet stick below it. If you scroll up a little bit. So I have the one that's like the red, and it also has a stone on it. Mm. Yeah, the V part of it wouldn't be a great fit. But I I would be real interested in, in trying that out. I'm new to the hockey world. I started because I'm loving these distance skating trips yeah, so much. Yeah. I'm like, man, I need to learn how to do the playful skating. Yeah, so yeah. I got new skates this year. I'm playing pickup hockey. I freaking nice. What are you doing it. tomorrow night about 8 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. That's the bad news. We'll, we'll make you look bad. Yeah. <laughs> We're all awful. Yeah. We all get too old for, for playing hockey. <laughs> That's part of it. I'm like, man, I'm 43. I should not be picking up hockey. It's so fun. It's so fun. You're, you're going to love it because it's like, you know, the trajectory is just up for you and all that everyone else is coming <laughs> yeah. down and eventually you're going to collide yep. sounds good everyone ends up in men's league yep. yeah <laughs> that's right man no matter what level you start you get to it doesn't matter it always ends right there now back to the skate with the boot is 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 it designed so that you can actually carry weight or so that you can go distance and have comfort it's it's designed for distance okay and um and those boots have a little bit of ankle support, but they're warmer, they're more comfortable than hockey or figure yep. skates. So that's that. all part of the appeal for mm-hmm. that, for the Nordic skate. For folks that, you know, that didn't grow up skating or don't have, that aren't real comfortable on skates, the Nordic, because they're longer and because they're in a boot that maybe you already own, like it's just an easier entry point. Yeah, These skates are, you know, you can get a pair for a hundred bucks and then uh, the bindings maybe 60 bucks on the cheap end for both of those. But that's not a crazy entry point for a winter sport, you know? Yeah, that's really cheap. I mean, yeah. hockey skates are like 500 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Just get a, and, a normal pair. And ski boots will be that much. So it kind of depends. Like okay. if you've already, you know, yep. so much of the, like Anchorage has a huge skate ski population. So for that whole crowd, they, they invest another 160, another $200. And they've got this activity that they can do before the snow's in. Yeah, it's a big for me. It was a big shoulder season um, filler for me. It was like between being able to boat and being able to ski. I'm getting restless. What can I do? Yeah, I got friends who are out skating. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice that you get those beautiful days with the fly ice, you know, before the snow comes. And, and well, it sounds great for someone like me that has a bad knee, but skating is like one of the activities that I could do. Yeah, that's aren't that's very low impact. Yeah. And I could do it, you know, for a long time and not feel pain like I would if I'm, you know, jumping around or snowboarding or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and when you get a Klutna and Portage Lake, like, those are big days you can have on ice, you know, 25 miles, easy. Yeah. It's wow. pretty cool. <laughs> when you do the overnighters, are you looking to find a patch of land? Or are you are you camping right on the lake or the river? It's a lot warmer to sleep on land, on snow, than it is on ice. Okay. Yeah. Mm. snow insulates yeah right yeah what uh what like inspired you or got you on that kick 
Is there like a moment or something you tried or someone got you into it? It, it started because I was watching people kind of fill in that shoulder season gap. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then... Like you said, the fix from the scheme part, right? And then that was the other part. Yeah. Is, was my own, as I get older, as my risk tolerance changes, mm. I'm seeking the exposure less and less. I'm, speak, I'm, I'm not really seeking the big mountain, the steep stuff. Yeah. Um, and ice skating gives me a lot of the same reward. And it's, you know, like I mentioned, it's like... It's so unlikely to pull this off. Well, it's so unlikely to make it up Denali. I get a lot of that yeah. same reward, even oh, though yeah, I don't yeah. have to feel like I'm putting myself at risk. And of course, there Way are cool. risks involved, and I'm mm. and I'm learning about that too. Like I just took a 40-hour ice rescue training in Maine to like beef up my own understanding of what can go wrong mm. and how to help when it does. Yeah, yeah, that video you posted was amazing. Where they were actually doing real life scenarios the, yeah. the dude's in the water and you guys are working to get him out yeah that was that was cool stuff like through the ice yeah what is the technique what is the technique if a buddy falls in the ice the the basics of it are that um everybody should be wearing ice picks i don't know if you've seen these but they're they're just pl like plastic handles that have um a sharp end like a like a nail head like mm -hmm. a i don't know 8d nail or something and we wear those around our neck so that when you fall through, they're easy to access, and that gives you traction on the ice. And you, you turn around to crawl out the same way that you went in. And that's because wherever you came from, at some point that supported you. Right. But you don't know that about moving forward. So it's a little bit of the, like the devil you know. Yeah. You know. So you turn around, you get those picks out on the ice with like like laying your forearm, forearms flat on the surface of the ice, and then you try to lift your legs up to the surface and just gently kick as you're using your kind of short throw, like um, six-inch, ten-inch um, reach with, mm. with right, left, right, left, trying to use the picks to pull yourself forward. I think I got a pretty good idea Oh, that's a good picture right there. there. Yeah, that's exactly it. <coughs> yeah. And so did you get in the water and try that? Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of times, and eventually I get comfortable with the form, and I'm like, I want to try this without the picks. And you can do oh, it, uh -huh. you know, but it's it was sure valuable to have practiced it first. Yeah, and you were dry suited up the whole time. And that, and these in the course, we're wearing yep full on ice rescue suits, right? Which <laughs> are a little different than dry suits. And I have not yet practiced in just my oh, street yeah. clothes. And I want to, and I will, but it's like I want that <laughs> cabin to be right there. It's got to be a full scenario setup. But there's there's so much value in practicing. Making the scenario as real as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially like when you're wearing, you know, a puffy coat or whatever it is you're also wearing. It'll just sink you. Yeah. Yeah. So do you choose your gear based on that? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. My, I, um, we, what, something we have in our backpacks is, uh, is the spare puffy clothes in a dry bag. Mm -hmm. and, and the dry bag is partly to keep things dry, but it's also to trap air mm. and then that applied provide some flotation yeah some buoyancy yeah. sometimes we would wear a life vest uh -huh. if we know the ice is sketchy but then here too like this is a sign of my age like if i know the ice is sketchy <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should just go play hockey at, you know yeah. like westchester <laughs> yeah like, yeah so but that's it we've got a stove like a little can like a jet boil yeah. canister smallest canister there just for like quick hot water if somebody went in um, and then you do the sleeping bag with the Nalgene trick, or what would you do? If if I was uh, helping somebody that was you know, potentially hypothermic or moving yeah. towards hypothermia, um, 
getting water inside them, hot water or heat inside them is more effective than having that, that bottle with them. So uh, sugary hot fluids. Okay. That'd be the priority, like easy sugar. Like what's the easiest thing that you can metabolize mm. um, and try to get them firing from within because they are the best way to warm themselves. But for Makes sure, sense. you got a sleeping bag, you got a um, space blanket. Yeah. Yep. Wrap up and all that stuff. Get somebody else in there. Um, but you really want that heat to come from the inside. Yeah. We got That's a buddy, scary. Tangy, who just goes skin to skin direct. <laughs> yeah, he does. He <laughs> saved a lot of people. He's like, it's not even that cold out here. What are you doing? <laughs> He's like, get down to yeah. your boxers. <laughs> We're snuggling up. <laughs> I'm just happy we have friends like that. Yeah, he's willing to do it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's you know, it's a diehard ride or die. Where do they sell those picks? Is there somewhere in town that can outfit like the skates and the? AMH sells the skates, and I and I suspect they sell the picks. There's mm-hmm. a there's a brand making skates. There's a couple guys here that in the Packraft video you just showed actually that was that was one of those guys, Pax and Wilbur. Oh, okay. And he's making skates. Their brand is called Ermin, um, and so those are it's pretty cool. Alaska company oh that's awesome and i i bet they're selling those picks too then there's a store on the east coast online it's called like nordicskater.com and and they're a good great great source for all this stuff Mm -hmm. is there a good blog out there where you guys are kind of communicating on hey this looks like it's going to be in good conditions you know on saturday the there's a facebook group yep that's really good about that i think it's called nordic skate south central or something like that um, and it is, it's the first stop to see, like, I, like I'm checking it today. Like, are people skiing Kenai? I think Kenai Lake might be skatable right now. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. And so I, that's where I go to check that. Nice. W- would you be the odd guy if I showed up with the hockey skates and you guys all have the boots? No, but, but, uh, we might call you a lacer. A lacer? Oh, yeah. that's, that's yeah. oh okay. All right. Well, we okay. got a lacer. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like. You stay back there, Daniel. Where I'm at now, <laughs> it's more fun for me to be on hockey skates by far. Um, but it's also more work. I've done a couple, a couple of days where you go out on a lake and, uh, or like, a, you know, I'll go s- skate for half an hour, kind of rough conditions on my Nordic skates, no problem. Come back to the car, switch out to hockey, go out in the hockey skates, and I'm just like, like so hard. Yeah. Um, but on good ice, I'd way rather be on hockey skates. Yeah. Part of what is, um, so like, um, maybe the most popular Nordic skate destination for folks in South Central Alaska is the Nancy Lake canoe system. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you can skate a lake, snap off, you know, just basically step out of the skates, walk the portage to the next lake, oh. and you can do 40-mile days in, like, four hours or half a day or, you know, whatever pace you want to work at. Mm. Uh, and it's because of the portages and being able to wear your shoes. Yeah. The lacers, you got to lace all the way out. Some some guys will walk their guards, you know, yeah. but that's that's pretty tough um, yeah. for some of those longer portages. Yeah, there's a skate. Uh, you probably have seen those K two. They have like the boa, the ratcheting lace system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are nice, like middle ground. Those are fast to get in yeah, and out in and of. Out of yeah. Yeah. Bring a pair of tennis shoes and a pair of those. That would be a good way to to still get that playful. But they're a longer blade too than a standard hockey. They're a little bit less playful. Seems like the might snow might be a challenge with that. Yep. <laughs> you know, For I sure. mean, especially through the porging areas where the wind's not blowing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, where you're kind of trudging through. Yeah. Well, one thing I noticed when I was with my brother-in-law, Nick, and he had those skates is, like, it would take me a lot of, st- it would take me a lot of strokes to do, like, the same amount of his ease of just, like, once you got going, like, just one little push, 
or two pushes, he's so just like gliding. Much more force. Oh, he's just gliding. I have to. I do like ten to his like, two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's similar to the. That's why they're similar to the speed skate and mm. and having a free heel. That's part of it too. You can you can extend your leg that much further by pulling your heel off the skate. Have you tried one of those speed skates? I haven't tried them. The there's a club in Anchorage. It's very welcoming. They'd love to have people come out. They're out on the Cuddy Oval every week oh that's right that's right and you can even do like a 20 dollar lesson you know, like a four hour lesson or something crazy like they they want people to come out and and i need to try that someday those skates are terrifying they they're, they, they're so sharp yeah they, yeah, they, they look like machetes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're pretty long and and oh man it just from being so used to skating on skates it it just you can't i don't know it's just, real different it is real different yeah I always wondered if those speed skaters could skate straight, you know, because they're always leaning in. They're yeah. always going the same direction. It's like, oh, how would they do on a lake? <laughs> they're just yeah. veering that one direction. <laughs> <laughs> Lefts only. Have you have you ever thought about bringing an ice auger? No. On one of those trips and doing a little no. ice fishing? No, I haven't. Dragging one of those around? No, well, they got the little fancy one that goes to the... Like the little, oh, the drill? The yeah, little drill I guess one. you could pack it if you're dragging a sled or I could. I could imagine that. That'd be sweet. Oh, I see in this video you got your pics around your neck, man. Look at that. Yeah. Those are like just a is that kind of like your life jacket? It's a yeah, it's your it's a it's safety equipment and you yeah. want it to be easily accessible. The the ice rescue suits actually have little pockets on your kind of on the wrists on the outside of the suit, but these little pockets where each pocket would have one of those picks okay. and a and a lanyard to keep it on you. So it's the same idea, it's just quick access either from your wrists or from your neck. Do do you guys wear um the inflatable life preservers, or do you ever consider that in, in maybe some of the conditions and things that you're doing? Uh, or would that be even effective? Yeah, it'd be it'd be great. What, what's that? What's that called? It has a technical term name. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The PFD. Yes, PFD. Uh, it's no, it's the yeah, I forget inflatable style. Saying. You guys know yeah. what the Mustang or or Onyx, or, or whatever, maybe it's but, called <clears throat> IPFD. Yeah. Isn't that what she called down boat safety? <sighs> Man. I'm there, pretty sure. You know, there was so much knowledge and information shared. It was almost overload <laughs> for me. Anyway, but has that ever been considered? Yeah. I mean, and those are, those are, yeah, definitely recommended for oh, okay. ice fishers and skaters. Yeah. Um, Especially these big, like, expedition style lakes, that, right? Yep. I've, I would, I personally would be more inclined to bring a foam vest. And, and part of that is because it's warm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. There's a little bit of, like, cushion if you did fall and break um, mm. i'd be nervous about an inflatable popping but i asked about this oh. in that ice training i took and they said yeah no it's they're legit it's worth it's worth wearing them for yeah. sure mm -hmm. there's different two different styles and you you all might know more about this than me but as far as how they're triggered and one can trigger like if it's it can get damaged in the humid environments which is like Anybody that has one probably lives in a humid humid environment. Definitely. And then yeah. there's another one that needs like to be submerged before it will inflate, like the ones that are auto inflating. Uh -huh. Yeah, with and the <coughs> dissolvable f um, ring or whatever it I is. I think the dissolvable one is the one that can get damaged in humid, humid. conditions. Yeah, it can get like and corroded. The other one is like a pressure sensor. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they work, but that pressure sensor one is is a better option for for us yeah for the application of the skiing and falling in ice and yeah you're right though like chunks of sharp ice floating around 
some could guys, definitely be like a major concern, right? Some guys wear a little body armor. I've seen it in some of the Northern European skaters. Wow. But again, like all that, like if I'm, it's kind of like the same thing with the airbag and avalanche terrain. You know, it's like it gives you, yeah, if I think I need body armor because I think it's that likely that I'm going to break through, I should yeah. probably just do something else that day. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. The measurement of risk is too high. For my tolerance, yeah. yeah. And that yeah. changes, you know, year that. to year. and yeah, Sure. So in that video, you weren't wearing a helmet. Do you wear a helmet skating? Oh, good question. I don't generally wear a helmet skating. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a good idea, especially for folks that fall a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I wore one more often when I was learning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, the injuries I see are, are wrists, probably the same as it's hockey. It's yeah. like wrists and, you know, hitting your knee. Um I encountered a guy last year on Nancy Lakes that broke the head of his femur. Oh, like, oh shit! Falling on ice. Mm. Um, so, so it's it's broken bones are mostly what I'm seeing. Dislocated shoulder. I yeah. saw that last year. Mm. Collar bones. Yeah, Guys never seen that elbows. in hockey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Two years ago at Kodiak, <laughs> I was walking around because of that. Yeah, it feels like um, if you're solo. A helmet would be a really good idea in case you fall and bonk your head. Yeah, you know, and I mean, hell, even if you got a really good helmet and you smack that ice hard enough, it it'll still knock knock the piss out of you. Yeah, no, it would be a good idea to have a helmet. Yeah, yeah, man, that's that's wild. And then <laughs> the end of that video, it showed like some waves on the ice, and it was like a light lay, layer of water. Did you see that? It was blowing. Yeah, yeah, there was some oh, water there. Well, no, what, was that an overflow or? A meltwater. Okay. Think, yeah. Warm, warm temperatures, and that is fun ice to skate because it's just fast and it's a mirror, absolute uh -huh. mirror. Mm. I love that. Um, yeah. It looked really cool. It's really cool. That was pretty wild. That was, I think, the video you're talking about was ski lack, and we skated it um, kind of on a whim, like I had done my homework, which is mostly looking at satellite imagery. And I was like, I think ski lack's got a, got potential for ice. So uh -huh. we were down there anyway for a cabin. We had one of those public cabins rented, checked out ski lack at like three o'clock sunsets at three thirty. So it's just perfect. Like watching the sun reflect on that, yeah. that mirror ice. And then there was a real warm wind, which is why there was water on the surface. Yeah. We spent the night down there. We went back the next morning and the, and the ice had thinned by three inches overnight. Holy cow. Wow. We'd measured it before. We measured it after. So yeah. it's like legit. It's like yeah, real yeah. data. Damn. Just from uh, from that warm wind. Yeah. Just ablating ice, water, you know, back into the Was air. that spring? No, that was, was it November or December oh, this year? Oh, wow, the ice was thin. It went from five inches to two inches. Huh. Ooh, scary. You yeah. just bring a drill out yeah. there? We, um, an ice screw will work. Uh-huh. That's kind of a... a you know, not very heavy, easy piece of equipment. And and then we use a special probe that's that looks like a ski pole, but it's got a heavier metal tip. Okay. And that thing is is just solid gold. The thing's awesome because you can you can basically calibrate it like a, a snap from my wrist tells me whether the ice will support me or not. Really? I can also just keep chipping away at it like an auger, like chip, 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 and get down three inches, four inches and, and see if it's you know, we're we're told and we teach four inches is what you want for okay. ice fishing, for ice skating. And you can get by on one inch, but then cool. it's pretty, you know, the, you can do the calculations yeah. there on your risk and how likely it is for something to go wrong. I'd be fine playing around on a couple inches at Potter's Marsh 
where if I yeah. break through, it's going to be like knee deep. Yeah. But yeah. Ski Lake, like no way. That is a badass lake. It's yeah. huge. It's cold. There's current super coming deep. through under Kenai. It's yeah. super deep. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, you can use that that ice probe um, to to chip your way down and okay. get a sense for how. So it's all mechanical. It that doesn't have like resistivity or something. No, it's yeah. just caveman style. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. rad. Have you ever encountered oh. any animals on the lakes, like crossing the lake, or, um, or do they try to avoid that? I've seen I've seen some a couple um, coyotes on lakes, mm. and then I've seen a beaver under me. Oh, really? oh, whoa. And a That's muskrat cool. under me. Oh, man. And the muskrat was probably the coolest because there was, it was this weird ice that had, um, I think it was in the spring, so it had, it had kind of collapsed and maybe and refrozen. So there was, there was a little bit of an arch in the ice underneath me, and there was an air pocket at the apex of that arch. So probably 18 inches below me, but this little seam of air. And I watched this muskrat go in there and breathe that and then move on. Oh, <laughs> so wow. cool. Super cool. That is so rad. Man. Oh, man. That's what, a, cool. what a badass little critter yeah. to totally. know that yeah. he can do that. Yeah. And those guys are around all the time, but I don't see a lot of muskrat. Like, they're not, they're hard to see. They're, you know, they're yeah. not hanging out. They're at Westchester. That was at, um, uh, like Jim Lake out of Palmer, out mm-hmm. of Butte, like just past okay. Butte. What well, I'm saying yeah. is, I seen him at Westchester. Oh, 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 West yeah. Seriously? Yeah. The other day, I drove by and I seen one jump out of the ice and scoot across oh. and then go down. I'm jealous. And we had someone on the podcast. We were asking about that, and they're kind of like hum hum about it, like they didn't want people to know, but huh. they're out there. I seen awesome. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. Who was who were we talking to about that? Uh, I don't know. Was it the fishing game, folks? It was the fishing game. When we went to the uh, uh, the, 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 the Jewel Lake Jamboree, uh, we had the fish and game uh, biologist come on and I asked yeah. her yep. about that. And she says, yeah, they could be found and be careful with your dogs. Mm. Yeah. They get yeah. a little ornery. Yeah. Yeah. You saw a beaver once too? Yeah, a beaver underneath too. Yeah. Well, Just for a flash. Like I tried, okay. I wanted to track it and follow around the top, but it was gone. Yeah. Like you guys ran into each other kind of in a way. He, uh, I'm on top and he's under oh, the oh, ice. Of course, but like... I was just wondering, maybe he was like coming to check you out, or if yeah, I don't. You know. were just skating, and there he was, and you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I yeah. was skating, and I was like, you "See this little flash of movement," and it's like, "What was that?" I was like, that's, oh, "That was a beaver." That's got to be kind of like almost creepy, even <laughs> though you're like, he ain't coming through. <laughs> but yeah. oh, I was just, psyched. I was. I wanted so badly to be able to keep following, and keep oh, watching, to be able to watch would be so cool. That's badass, man. Let's take a quick second and give a shout out to some of the sponsors Let's and then we'll it. come back and get to the, we jump right to ice skating, yeah, like just yeah. skipped over the whole pack craft. <laughs> oh man, dude, that was but fun. I promise we're going to get to that guys. <laughs> Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand selected gear since 1963. Barney specializes in supplying hunters with the absolute best Alaskan proven gear on the market for some of nature's most rugged and demanding terrain. Whether you're headed to the remote volcanic islands of the Alaska Peninsula in search of a brown bear, or the shale-infested glacial valleys of the Brooks Range for dull sheep, it is critical you choose the right gear for your dream hunt. Don't miss Barney's exclusive brand, Frontier Gear of Alaska, tested from the high mountains of Tajikistan to the extreme conditions of Alaska. These products were designed for high performance and durability. Frontier Gear was derived from decades of experience hunting big game in Alaska. Paired with other top brands, it provides you the absolute best gear selection anywhere in the world. 
Stop in at Barney's Sports Chalet in Anchorage on Northern Lights or check out their custom website and reference tool at barneysports.com. Arbor Digital, based in Anchorage, Alaska, is your go-to wealth management company. Arbor Digital is at the forefront of digital assets and cryptocurrencies. If you've been looking to invest your hard-earned money or just want to learn more about crypto, blockchain technology, or digital investments, give their website acminc.com a visit. What's great about Arbor is they provide a low-cost, transparent, research-based investment strategy for digital assets and traditional investments as well. ACMINC.com is your first step in putting your money to work. Let one of Arbor's investment professionals walk you through your options for financial growth and security. Start investing for the future today at ACMInc.com. Arbor Digital, your Alaskan digital asset company. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. At Total Truck, you can find brands such as ARE, RSI Smart Caps, Goose Gear, iCamper, Front Runner, Rigid Lights, Rhino Linings Bedliners, and everything you need to outfit your truck or SUV. Alaska Overlander provides 4x4 vehicles and expedition trailers custom modified for Alaskan adventures and outfitted with rooftop tents, fridges, and all the camping and cooking gear you need to start exploring. Visit them at alaskaoverlander.com. Oh, yeah. When they're good. They're not good as often. Yeah, maybe because it gets too warm and chops the ice up. And I don't know. Yeah, more snow. And, uh, yeah. That makes sense, though, because that's... Kind of like a Nancy Lake-ish type yep. portaging A bunch situation. of little ponds and lakes and, yeah. and established portages between them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I, I'd love to uh, do the full gear shift and do the pack raft thing. Yeah. yeah. Are we going to do the trivia? Yeah, I'll we'll see trivia. Uh, yeah, I'll oh, see trivia. Oh, Jack, you're back with some trivia? Oh, yeah. Damn, so, it's uh, been a while. The uh, second two, <laughs> we might let you guys guess on first, but... Wait, real quick, real quick. You still got the button? I don't, you know, I don't know if I, if I, I saved it. Hold on, let me. Because like, this has kind of caught me off guard because we haven't done trivia in a while. So I'm like, I don't know. If, I don't Luke's listen to a podcast by chance. Uh, let's, let's, let's see. Ah, no, nope, that's, that's the moose call. <laughs> no, I think I deleted it. <laughs> trivia oh, I time. I don't think I have the music though. Trivia. Trivia. Jack yep. Lau. Don't I have the music. Or we could do that Adam's family thing. Yeah, I don't have that. No, 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 no. We used to have a thing with the music and all that, but I changed some of the buttons. I, I think I deleted the music. Maxed out our buttons? No, not maxed out. Just accidentally <laughs> deleted it. <laughs> anyway, trivia. What do you got? All right, the first one we'll do on the, so Luke can play. Yeah, um, of course. So Alaska uh, has the most powder of any ski resort in North America this year. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Wow. How many inches do we have? Have not what the base is. How many how many inches have we got all year? It's a good total. Question. Yeah, total at Alaska. At Alaska. I feel like I want to let Luke answer first because <laughs> he seems like he's way smarter about this stuff than me. Yeah, so Luke I'll cheat off your answer. I'll go full extreme. I'm gonna <laughs> guess 380 in the hundreds. That's a lot. Yeah. A lot. I wasn't going to guess that much. Like 25 feet of snow or something. Yeah. I was going to I was, I was say 180. Yeah, 250 for me. 657. Fuck. Whoa. <laughs> Damn. Whoa. It's, it's a fuck ton. 
There's Where do they measure it at? Is there like a certain spot where like this is where it's Just the deepest? Up and down, up and it's down. probably like right outside the the tram. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know either. And I know it's just like what falls, like that's yeah. the height, and then of course it compresses. Yeah, well, I think we, the base is like one thirty-seven. Well, we had that like mega storm where we got like a fuck ton of snow in November, where we had the avalanches that were coming across the road and the whole. I know whole when line. when Alaska finally opened because they're opening late now. You know, uh, they're still kind of running with the old owners. Uh, schedule um but like growing up like it would open before thanksgiving and now it's opening about a month later Mm -hmm. i think it was like the 11th or 15th of december this year we had more snow than than most resorts get in a year Mm -hmm. so wow yeah we're what was the number again 657 (sighs) damn I'd, i'd like to know where they measure that at like there's probably a part where, like, this is where it's the deepest. It's probably right. And it's probably not at the bottom so that the rain doesn't mess up the, yeah. the no. numbers. It's 55, That's the next 55 feet of snow. <laughs> yeah. Snow? 50, What's that? 55 feet of snow. Oh, I don't know. Did you do the math? I did. Yeah, that sounds about right then. Uh, that's insane. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so crazy. They're getting 10-inch days all the time this year. You, you know? know, I was wondering about this winter um, as we're approaching – like spring black bear, spring bear. Um, one of my favorite things is just go like look for bears. I want, I, I love hunting bears, but it's the most fun to just go take glass and find them when they're coming out of dens. It's really cool. But I'm kind of worried this spring Last about year, some of these areas that may, maybe, might too be, much stuff. Yeah, like it suffocates them and buries them and then they, they I never get out. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a thing? I think they'd be oh, yeah, like almost thing. more protected, right? Because that snow base, because they're not in this super steep stuff, you know? Yeah. So the snow base would get bigger and bigger. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just, I think, was it like 2000? Oh, man. What was it, guys? When we got like record snow, it was like 2008? Yeah. Something or like something that. like that. Yeah. I remember, I remember like 1988. I remember, like, we, yeah, we had a mondo year in the late 2000s. Yeah, I mean, I had some buddies go to um, Soldovia to go do some black bear hunting, uh-huh. and there was like ungodly amounts of black bears the year before, and they went out there that spring and didn't see a bear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the locals were like, "Wow, I come out on my porch and I see 20 bears a day up on the hill up there, and there's nothing. The yeah. snow just wiped them out." I've so, never heard of that. Yeah, have you heard of that? No. So we we had a lot of snow last year. I mean, it wasn't this much, but we had a lot of snow. And I went to go hike um, this peak on night in May. Couldn't do it. Well, I could have done it. I didn't want to do it without snow. You were going to ski it. No, I was also going to ski that. That that was not that one. But yeah, that same trip we're skiing. But that Mm. we were skiing like Cole Ross. Uh, um, But night I wanted to hike a peak. And, and, and I did not want to hike it in snow. Um, so like, some badass mountaineers could totally have climbed it. Um, yeah. But then I had went back in June to climb it, and it still had snow on it. And so couldn't do it until July. Mm. Oh. So, you know, mm. like yeah. you're saying, we it seems like the snow is staying longer. Yeah. I think that one year it, it put a dent in the Prince William Sound black bears too. Population? Yeah, so. just in the areas where they're denning high and – you know, Valdez, Cordova, Whittier, you know, all those areas in the mountains. Just put the hammer down on them. It seems like they they'll come out fast. way later. So yeah, it also definitely. might, like, leave the impression if you go, like, in the normal time. And yeah. then they're just not out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then by the time they come out, it's green and you're 
salmon fishing now. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next question. So um, there's a race in Alaska called the Alaska Mountain Wilderness Classic. Um, how, what year was it established? So a little backstory. Hold I on, thought they only this. did this a couple times. Okay. I'm going to go with 1987. Oh, it's just full full go? Yeah. Yep. I like that uh, year. It's a lot of good snow that year. All right. It seems like, <laughs> seems like guys would be doing that. Um, uh, 1992. I think 81. It was 82. Okay. Oh, Ooh. yeah. You're damn close. I thought they just had done it a couple times. I didn't know it was like an That's annual thing. Times. Yeah. Yep. And then they wow. kind of pick like a route and they keep it for about three years and they move on to a new route. And I don't think any routes have repeated. They do repeat routes. Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay. So what's the skinny on this race real quick? What, what can we get a, yeah, get it's, a, um, I think it started basically as a glorified bar bet, which was like, perfect. I'm going to ski some lodge somewhere here. here. Same yeah. thing as Mount marathon, right? <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. That was a bar bet. It was yeah. a bar bet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same idea. Oh, and then they're like, yeah, let's do that. And um, the first one, the Summer Classic, was in was on Kenai Peninsula from Hope to Homer. And you're given a starting point and an end point, and you kind of have full reign over how you connect those points. Got to be completely self-sufficient, self-rescue. Uh, no no motors, no mechanized anything. That's, no support, that's right? That's short version. Carry everything on your it's back, perfect. basically. It's perfect. Yeah. 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 It's a barbet mountaineering race. All right. I bet I could do this to this. So the Wilderness uh, Classic has a, a a sister race. What is that? Oh, I'm going to say the um, Chugach Mountain Race. Oh, you're asking the name? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What is like the event that is the sister? Uh, the Alpine Classic. Ooh, that's a good one. Just came to me. <laughs> I, I my guess is you're is you're thinking of the Alaska Cross. It's a ski Alaska ski classic. Okay, is we, that also the same thing? We we consider that as the classic also. Like oh. the two classics are oh, like there's okay. a winter one and there's a summer one. All right, Damn, what so was that that you close. called? There's a there's a race that I think is organized out of Fairbanks called Alaska Cross that is even more grassroots, uh, shorter distance, smaller number of participants, and like even less presence on the internet. Okay, yeah. Nice. So that one's truly a barbet. Yeah, it's still just yeah. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't evolved from the barbet status. I've been super interested in this race since yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. it. But now we have our first participant and winner on the show. Oh, you won the race. You're not yeah. only the player, you're the president. <laughs> okay, I gotcha. You remember well, that you, commercial? What year was that? With the hair thing? There were a couple yeah, years. That was an 88, uh, 1988. Not just a client. I'm the president. That's what it was. <laughs> so, so, Sorry, I mean, it's so distracted. That was so the, the one that I, I was looking at was 2012. You'll have to. So I've done like 14 of these or something. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh. So they kind of blur together. Yeah, yeah. What was 2012? That was Thompson Pass to Lakina River. Yeah. And uh, that was hard. And you won it in 2012. Did you win another one? Uh, not on that route, uh -huh. but some of the other. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like how many right. time champion year? Well, so it, here's the thing is that it's not, it's, it, there, you know, it is possible to finish first and, and have technically have won it, but there, mm -hmm. it's a, 
it's such a grassroots thing and without sponsors and without without really much of a sense of competition besides just like personal competition mm, most yeah. folks show up and they they think i want to get this thing done in four days if i can like that would be my goal and of course Aww. it feels good to finish first but there but it's really de-emphasized so the competitive part is really de-emphasized and part of that is intentional because the race is like has always been semi-legal semi-illegal like depending on where it is <laughs> mm -hmm. and you can't have an organized event through uh kenai national wildlife refuge stuff like that and so so because of that we, the participants are all pretty careful about saying i completed the course or i you know yeah. and i did really well or i i met my goals or whatever so yeah. that's why i'm hedging a little bit uh, okay got it that's so there's it. no like plaque or something. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That's man, why we a, don't hear about it. Yeah, what an totally. awesome, yeah. honest it's, answer, man. Yeah, like you articulated that to perfection. Well, I had like, to practice because yeah. it's like because I, I organized because you for wrote a, few a book. Years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Trooper John comes down and says, "What are you guys doing over here, boys?" But my like something that I'm like my adventure resume or something something that I'm super proud of is that there were a couple of years back to back two years in a row I think back to back that I finished first on winter and the summer and the winter on the summer so I had a little role there where I was kicking ass and then I got older <laughs> <laughs> things changed a little bit things changed my knees changed my <laughs> risk tolerance changed yeah all that I'm gonna pick up. Nordic skating. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I mean, right. That that 2012 course that Jack picked out, I finished that. I remember that was a hard course for me. I finished that, and I I had this impression at the end that I had used every skill I'd been building since high school. Mm. I'd used the scrambling rock climbing that I'd done at the Alaska Rock Gym when it first opened up. You know, yeah, yeah. I'd used all this stuff about food and fuel, nutrition, like how that matters, and running on low sleep and risk assessment, pack rafting, and... Like it was super cool and and very rewarding for me to to have that to finish that and feel like it it you know it just it met my limit and I had trained for it yeah. without you know, knowing it like all these sure. little pieces of life that all came together that was a super cool moment for me on, on top of uh, just a full blown five years peeled off your life probably from it <laughs> I <laughs> off my knees life yeah <laughs> something something got worn out like by there's, five years at there's least. some truth for that like how many miles do your joints have in them yeah you totally know, like you're looking That's at knee mean, surgery you know? it's like it's finite yeah and and those are they, they've always been hard on my body every single one. The first one you take you know six weeks to recover from and so it's like what am i doing yeah. it's a weird thing to, to you to know motivate. like when you get older you're gonna like oh yeah that that trip that's why this <laughs> yeah. shoulder feels this way. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I skate now, boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On those courses, both the summer and the winter, we, we were averaging 40 miles a day, which off trail, like that's... Wow. I just did a ski on there. I did a rod trail and I averaged 33. I'm on a trail and I'm sleeping in cabins. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like I did that and I looked back and I was like, how the hell were we covering 40 breaking trail? Yeah. Or going through brush or whatever. And part of it, you know, there's pack rafting and part of it's that we're sleeping four hours a night or, or no hours in the it's summer. Some of the guys would do that. But, um, yeah, those are, that's a, that's a different kind of, uh, accomplishment for me. Those wilderness classics. It's super rad. It oh. is super rad. It's a lot like, like what we do up sheep hunting. You know, it's like you go and you push your limits. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, 
using everything you know, all your skills, and uh, you're not comfortable. Um, and you get to be out in nature where nowhere else is setting foot. Yeah. You know. And with the classics, there's there's just enough of a, a sense of there's a safety net because there's some people in front of you, there's some people behind you, there's somebody that's you know s- organized it to a degree. The winter one is actually quite organized, and the summer version is is much less so. But you've got a little bit of a community there, and you get to see what some of the more experienced people do. So you see, you know, I did my first year, got my butt kicked, and was like, man, I'm never gonna do that again. And then two weeks later, it's like, oh, but there's all oh. these things I could do better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I see, like, oh, well, those guys aren't bringing tents. Those guys aren't bringing sleeping bags. Maybe I should, you know, like, could I do that? Could I go without a tent? And so then I try that, and I'm like, yeah, I'm totally fine without a tent. Like, I can make this work. And that part of it was is really neat, too, like watching, seeing what some of these people, like, already had figured out and mm. then and then taking baby steps toward it. Yeah. Like, oh. I'll, I'll leave one thing out this year and see how that goes. Next year, maybe I'll leave two out. Yeah. At our at the at the apex of that curve for me, we did a trip from the Donnelly, which is um, what is that river? Delta. Delta, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. From Delta, all the way west to McKinley Village, so crossing mm-hmm. under Hayes and Deborah and those big peaks. Wow. We did a glacier route there, and and my my backpack. I can't really give anything for scale here, but it's like not much bigger than. Um, like the tote bag that you would bring to the grocery store. It's like oh, that really? size. And yeah. it had glacier gear and it had a boat. Bare minimum. Total minimum. Like And also like not much of a margin if anything went wrong. Mm. Yeah. So this sort of balance. But but there's something really beautiful about traveling that light and like only bringing what you need and nothing extra. And probably bringing a little bit less than what you need in terms of food or something. But Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like you to run down the list real quick like what are the some of those things that are like yeah what's in that little what, tote bag yeah, what, what that you need <laughs> yeah 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 because for, you said no tent and no sleeping bag and you well, I, I already lost the race and just to clarify <laughs> just yeah just to clarify like these are needs not wants yeah, yeah. i think that's a good yeah. distinction too totally right yeah you're bringing like what i gotta have it yeah and yeah. then like what i want to have is back the car in the garage okay this is a good question I'm going to preface it by saying I'm choosing to go this light and you don't have to. And in the last classic I did, I searched around, I asked everybody, I was like, how many hours are you planning to sleep? This one group said, we're planning to sleep six hours. And I'm like, sweet, six hours a night. That works for me. Like I want to give my body time to recover each night. Mm -hmm. No, no, six hours for the whole thing. Six hours over four days. (laughs) I'm like, nope. Okay. Next. I keep asking around. Eventually I find these guys are like, yeah, we're planning to sleep seven hours a night. I'm like, can I travel with you? And we do. We bring full, full everything. We got tents, we got sleeping bags. Like we got what we need. Um, and so it's totally possible to do this same. And it was, you know, we probably finished 24 hours later than I would have five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. So the essentials, I'm bringing two pounds of food per day. And I, and those are high calorie foods. Like I do the, when I'm shopping, I'm looking at the nutrition label and I'm looking at how many calories per gram. And if it's four calories per gram or more, that two pounds, that ends up being a 4,000 calorie day. Mm-hmm. I, even at that pace, running those those uh, classics or even skiing that Iterod trail that I just did, I'll lose a pound a day, pretty much guaranteed. So I'm not, 4,000 isn't meeting my needs, yep. but it'll get me through it. Yep. So that's a need. I'll put that in the need list. Um, 
and then water in some way like i've had giardia a few times so i am bringing a, some treatment and for me that's a uh, liquid iodine just because it's simple, yeah. Put it in there and keep moving and drink oh, it. Liquid, not the pill. Not yeah, the liquid. Oh, okay. Yeah. That even tastes worse. A little iron. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I think it doesn't taste as bad. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, after the thirteenth time. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, Luke, it's in an eyedropper. Yeah. So I buy mm-hmm. the. It's like three dollars to buy the liquid iodine. It usually comes in a glass vial, and then mm-hmm. I spend ninety nine cents to buy the gotcha. eye drops, and then I pour the liquid out of the eye drops, pour the oh, iodine yeah. in the eyedropper, and you can use. Part of what I like about it is that you can you can use between six and ten drops, kind of depending on how nasty you think the water is. Mm. So I can, if I've got a pretty clean source, I put six drops in that liter, and it's I really don't notice the flavor. Yeah, okay. That said, I'm drinking a lot of electrolytes. Yeah. And that's probably that something I didn't discover until I am now older. They're those wonderful. Make a huge difference. Yes. Huge difference. What do you use for those? The most effective that I've found are drip drop and tailwind. Okay. And we're, I've got some element, which is kind of a new, to me, salt one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good too. But drip drop is amazing. And, and Tailwind has, it has, has calories as well. So it's mm. like a liquid. It's kind of, all, they say, you know, it's all you need. And it really is all you need. It's, 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 it's a milkshake. It's kind of like, kind of like a milkshake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So you bring a water bottle? I bring, I, I might bring a cup. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, as you know from you guys' trips through Alaska, there's water everywhere. Yeah. Twice in my whole life I've been without water up here, and I've just been like, where am I? Yeah. What just happened? I'm not prepared for this. Because the rest of the time you're, like, squeezing water out of your socks constantly, right? Yeah. So um, you might be able to get away with a cup instead of a full bottle. Okay. Save some weight. Yeah. I'm probably bringing a bottle. Um, And then puffy clothes instead of that sleeping bag and shelter so i'll bring a, a nice puff jacket i might bring some lightweight puff pants and mm. i can sleep in that setup yeah on the summer courses where we're bringing a boat i could crawl under that boat or i could sleep on that boat um and i would i would on those some of those years i'd bring a piece of a sleeping pad like just enough kind of for my core for your hips for yep so you lay on your side it's not just digging into the rocks yeah, and shit yeah. but also for insulation oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. just like the the half inch <clears throat> closed cell phone pad mm-hmm. um the z seat yeah yeah just a little chunk like that to, mm-hmm. to put under put it under my core and i yeah. remember on one of those early classics for me being exhausted and being in the middle of a talus slope you know so big rocks like yeah. kind of high angle not too high angle but big rocks and just just curling up in a little ball on that tiny piece of pad and sleeping just like a dream you know like and it was this reminder of like yeah you know what when your body is exhausted like it can sleep like yeah, i don't no need a full at. pad and like i've got the puffy layers on you know i've got a rain layers or some sort of tarp something to keep rain off um but but that would be enough to let me sleep enough to recover and then i'm up and moving again yeah um Blister care, that's a need for sure because those mm. ones are just brutal on feet. Yep. And I'd have some some first real basic first aid, which would basically just be blister care and painkillers and some over-the-counter painkillers to just kind of manage the trip and then some prescription painkillers in case anything went really wrong. Mm. I never needed to use the prescription, but we carried them. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah. Some folks go without a stove. 
and I always did bring a stove because it was a little bit of a safety net for me, knowing, especially if you don't have a, a tent or a sleeping pad, I know that I can curl up with that hot water bottle, and that makes a huge difference for me. I can throw that inside mm-hmm. my jacket yeah. and sleep through some pretty crappy stuff, and I can drink that and get that internal heat, get my body pumping. Um, so I always justified carrying a little something like a jet boil or, or a pocket, pocket rocket. Pocket rocket, mm. yeah. yeah. S- as light as small as possible, right? Tiny stove, tiny, tiny canister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but some people, even in the winter, they'll do some non-cooking meals. Yeah, just to save weight. Yeah. That'd be a tough one to go without. I think stove. so too. Now, and and it's right, and I wasn't, but and then that helps too. If you're a group of two, group of three, you're dividing that weight between mm-hmm. the group. Yep. So, um, a multi-tool. You know, it's got the knife. It's got the pliers for repairs and some basic repair stuff. Yeah. And then a full paddle. Yep, full, as light as possible paddle. On that one trip, the one I mentioned, going over to McKinley Village, we had we put two of us in one boat. Oh, really? Yeah, as a way to save seven pounds, you know. Yeah. Like that yeah. was a big deal. And that's part of why my pack was, was able to be that small is because I had the boat, but then John was carrying some of the other group gear. Okay. But we had one pack raft and one paddle. How'd that go? Uh <laughs> Not well. <laughs> <laughs> so the, my partner was 6'4". Uh-huh. Oh, man. And we went and practiced on Goose Lake, you know, because all this stuff, it's like, I'm, I'm going in calculated. I'm trying to do this right. And yeah. Yeah, let's practice this. We don't want to just show up there. So we go to Goose Lake, and we're like, yeah, this isn't so bad. And we go across Delta River. Delta River is really different than yeah. Goose Lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we very nearly dump. And... Um, Two partners we were with, we convinced them, yeah, you guys should just share a boat. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Tyler and Todd, they dump. They swim instantly. It was like minute one of the oh, classic. No. So Tyler runs back, gets a second boat, rejoins us. Okay. But John and I made that boat work, and um, and we were we were extremely cold, and, and actually it really only no, worked out cold. because we'd, we'd pull out. Todd and Tyler would get a fire going. And we, like, our hands were probably too cold to get that fire going. Mm. So they'd get a fire going, we'd warm up on that fire, and then we'd repeat the process. Mm. So not recommended. Yeah, yeah. So lighter or, like, a flint? Um, we were carrying lighters. Did you guys dump in right at the campground at Donnelly there? Is that where you guys? We started that one at um, Black Rapids Lodge. Okay. And dumped right yeah. there. Right off the Richardson there? Yep. Okay. And it's kind of running hard up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> i've seen it down and then where it dumps in the tannin' and it just kind of braids out uh, yeah but that's like no up higher elevation it's pretty swift and pretty glacial yeah and very cold and very cold yeah <laughs> we i mean just right on the edge of, of dumping and we didn't and wow. but you know this thing too like we on other trips get i get soaked and even on the winter one had a friend just face plant right into overflow oh. and and you just move like you just keep moving like yep. what your yep. options are you yeah know, like make a fire, set up, you know, or get all your stuff wet or move, and then your body just cranks. So yep. you eat that, especially if you've got something like Tailwind, that calorie-rich drink, mm-hmm. just like your body starts cranking, cranking the heat, you dry all your stuff out. Like learning all that stuff, just learning how capable our bodies are without all the crap that we assume we need or that we're marketed that we need. Yeah. I really Good appreciated word. those lessons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark- Marketed that we need. Yeah, because I'm starting to question my... Um 
like seven pound bag of food on a sheep hunt. <laughs> just like a, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I like, bring the to go jiffy peanut butter too, mu- too, too much, too too much. <laughs> <laughs> like my calories, right? Yeah, but that's legitimate. That's your fuel. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, different. And that this guy John, the six four, my rationalization for sure. <laughs> the partner John, that was six four. He needed more than two pounds per day, and we we did a trip with two pounds, and he hurt from it because he, you know, mm. was like, oh mm. shoot, it's like, oh that's right, food. you're twenty two, you need more food, yeah. <laughs> and and so. And again, like we're, you're, it's a game. Like this is absolutely for fun. We're choosing to have some hardships because there's an awesome reward on the backside. But where I'm at now, no way. Like I'm not cutting all those corners. So, no. so long as I think that you're sort of calculating what can go wrong, uh, there's a way to do that and put yourself in that position and be like, I can handle yeah. getting soaked right now. I'm 23. Yeah, you know, like. I'm, yeah, I'm ripped or whatever. I'm in great shape. I just, I got a can of Jiffy Pop, like Jiffy peanut butter or whatever. Yeah. That's good fuel. And, and that's really different than, especially in Alaska, going out and just not having thought through that and getting in, getting in trouble. Yep. You go boots or like running shoes, trail shoes? Trail, yeah, like trail runners that, that mm-hmm. drain real well because you know they're going to get wet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Drive fast. And, and also the weight. I remember... I could feel the swing weight of a wet shoe. By the time my joints are so tired, you know, mm. on day two oh, of yeah. this, I could feel that extra weight of a wet tennis shoe versus a dry one. So putting a, a leather boot on there, which would get wet, mm. you're just just asking for joint trouble. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That so that's the full list? That's what comes to mind. You guys can probably fill in some of the gaps. What are we forgetting? We got insulation. We got a little, some sort of shelter, whether that's rain gear or... Um, sometimes I'd bring like a sill Nile sheet, you know, like a mm-hmm. eight by four, just a panel to crawl mm-hmm. under. Yeah, um, thin tarp type. Some some ex- as thin as possible tarp, yeah. like even trash bags or Tyvek yeah. or some wraps. Space blanket would come. The little the little sole. It'd be smart to bring that. We weren't bringing those, but that that's like a, a one ounce penalty or something. That's that'd be worth bringing. Oh. oh, there's penalties for bringing. No, I, uh, oh, oh, to yourself. Yeah, your no. joint. Okay, got yeah. it. Knee, joint penalty. knees penalty. <laughs> yeah, 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 got yeah. it, got it. So, total weight, fully loaded packing, would be what? Uh, ballpark twenty five. <laughs> wow. For multi day, yeah. including that one for like glacier travel. We so you're a, flying. We got a thirty meter rope, forty miles a day. I mean, when you that's a lot. And you're training for this prerequisite, right? Like you're doing, you're putting in work. He ran here. You didn't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just not even sweating. Just sways his hair to the side. Yeah. No, I'm breathing hard. I think some of those younger <laughs> years, it was just like the the active Alaska lifestyle was. You know, I was getting out every weekend. I'm single. I got trip partners. We don't check the weather. Like we know we're meeting yeah. at Huffman cars. Rain, we're going rain or shine, we're going. Yep. yep. Yeah. And that worked until I was probably about 30. And then I had to start training. Yeah. What do you do for training? Um, I, I've tried a handful of different things. I had kind of a routine from playing Frisbee in college, um, which I know is funny, but, um, but that's where I'd learned, you know, to train for sports. And then my, my wife is a personal trainer and actually runs a business, um, like mental physical health business. And her program is awesome. And a lot of it is based on HIT, the high-intensity interval training. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of body weight, and it's a lot of, like, stability, like stabilizer muscles. Yep. 
Um, and, and as I get older, I realize how much more and more important that is um, because it's like we don't usually have problems with the, like going in a straight line. Like yeah. We have problems when we slip, when we fall, when you catch yourself. Yep. And that's all mm -hmm. that stabilizing stuff. Um, so her programs are, are what's most effective for me. Nice. Can we find those somewhere? Yeah, her. Uh, she has um, Ski Babes is one of her websites, one of her programs, and it is targeted for women, but um, but it works quite well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even if you're not a woman, um, and Mind and Mountain is her business. Okay. Sarah Histand is her name, and yeah, I would check out Ski Babes because it's like her background with it is that she was already personal trainer had done like decathlon in high school she was a total badass high school athlete um and then learned how to ski kind of later in life uh -huh. and had all of that insight she's like oh this is kind of like doing a curtsy lunge this is kind of like doing blah 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 and so she had this really nice perspective on um how like what you could do with the gym what you do at home that would help you be functional outside so it's yeah. not like a it's not like a phys physique sort of fitness. It's yeah. like chalk wood fitness. It's yeah. like it's like work on the car fitness. It's yeah. like it's like yeah, that kind of lifestyle fitness. I needed that this morning, changing the flat tire. It's you like it's, flat it's tire real. Today? Like it's on real. On the way to kids' school. Oh no! <laughs> so the kids were there watching you. I backed it up Perfect to the timing. house. <laughs> I went like two hundred yards backwards. <laughs> they didn't want to make a turn. <laughs> when you're on the races, do you bring like bear spray? Man, we weren't bringing bear spray. Just going for We're it. making noise, and I know. And in retrospect, I'm like, "Wow, that's a that's a bold move. Bold move. Yeah, yeah." And I remember being too tired to make noise and thinking, "This is dumb." <laughs> just vulnerable, but not saying it because I was too tired to talk. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Just vulnerable, and that's that's yeah. the language I like using about it. Is when we're talking about risk. I, this is how I wrote about it in the in the Packraft Handbook too. It's like there's hazards, and there's exposure, and there's vulnerability. Hazards is stuff we can't control. It's like weather, water temperature, wind, um, sweepers, sweepers, rocks in the river, avalanche. Can't you have zero control over any of that thin ice? And then exposure, choosing to put yourself to expose yourself to a hazard. What is exposed? And maybe you're not making that choice. Maybe a guide is making that choice for you, or maybe you're living in one of those Juno neighborhoods that's like below an avalanche. Yeah, uh, run out. You know, mm. that's exposure. And then vulnerability. I love it. That's everything else. And and that we can do the same activity and have totally different vulnerabilities. And that might be because you're wearing a life vest and I'm not. Or it might be because you have been training and I'm and I haven't. It might be because you grew up surfing and you have this mental state when you're getting thrashed that you're like, you know what, it's gonna get better. That's like, right. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna catch my my breath here, just yep. a matter of time. And it could be that I grew up in, in McGrath and didn't learn how to swim. You know, it's like all of that changes our vulnerability, which is how, what the consequence is of being exposed to that hazard. That is well said, fucking yeah. badass perspective, yeah. man. Yeah, well, it it. Took, yeah, and it's late to me. I didn't know that 10 years ago. And you put it all together. Recently, and it just, it helped so much for me to have a framework, to have words, and they're not my words. Like, that's coming from fabrication, you know, like factory risk safety yeah, there's yeah. a whole field of study mm. these guys have master's degrees in safety science like that's yep. a real thing yep. mm. um natural disasters like that's how these guys are talking about it and it's like oh yeah <laughs> somebody already knows how to talk about this that's right well, how are they doing it Man, yeah. it kind of really <clears throat> full circle brings it all together when you're when you're planning something you, because you have 
a lot of control in assessing all three of those Absolutely. subjects. Yeah, it's for the planning. It's perfect. Yeah, if, if you, you take those three things yeah. in your mindset, it's incredible and how much you can actually. The only other thing you kind of have to know is like your own personal risk tolerance. Yeah, when you mm. dive into that, that's probably the hardest one to calculate. I think, yeah, to to honor, especially to honor. when it becomes part of a group. <clears throat> yeah, and it's like my tolerance might not be the same as yours, yeah. and you yeah, throw your kids into the mix, and you're like, yeah. I want to do this, but the consequence of me messing up affects those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and then you get all this bias of like, well, we'd have to do this other thing to not do this thing. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess as you do it more often and push yourself more you you know what your tolerances are and i think practice is a huge way to to do that is to you know skate thin ice see what it's like and, mm -hmm. and you can identify that 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 line that you you're like you know what i'm not gonna cross that line and then honor it yeah and and it's and hard honor to honor it and it's hard to get it's hard to identify that without going out but it's but you're, it's going out you're doing it you're you, you know you're doing it on your hunts you're like you go out you're sleeping wet and cold for a couple nights and you're like, man, you know what? That's not cool. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna, that's, that's a line I'm not going to go to anymore. Yeah. And of course you don't always have control and things can go wrong, but, but having practiced that and sort of identifying those, those, those ideal limits or boundaries is super valuable. You, un, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I, um, well, I, I do want to know. Do you, <laughs> do you find that the, the limit the limits you find that are solo versus partner? Like, have you found your growth and your ability to identify what your limits are, what your personal, like, what are you doing it for? What are you gaining from this? What the hell am I doing here? It's, it's solo, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, so there's part of it that's like introspection about what is my motivation for this hard stuff. Like I'm choosing to go do this hard stuff. And that's a very like personal assessment. And then, and then it sounds, are you, and you're also asking about like, how is that different than being part of a group? Yeah. And have you like push your limits further solo or with a group? And is it a difference? And then there might be some there cause you got, there is. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, if we go back to that, to the hazard, exposure, vulnerability, hazards mm -hmm. haven't changed. Exposure, we as a group might decide to go do this thing. So that could be to ski this line or to run this rapid instead of portaging it. So that's a little bit of a difference, like whether I'm deciding to do that for myself or we're deciding as a group. A lot of value in being in a group where somebody says, oh, did you see that log? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I didn't see that log. <laughs> okay, so that's a big plus for the group being part of that decision. Yeah, yeah. But then in terms of vulnerability, if I swim, if I trigger an avalanche, if I break through the ice and I'm on my own, I'm way more vulnerable than if I've got a partner there. So having partners can lead you to be willing to expose yourself to more hazards. Because it's like, especially if backup. you trust that partner. Yeah, This is a classic story that I keep telling because it's so relevant to me. In, in the book when I was writing it, I kept saying stuff like, paddle with partners because they got your back. Yeah, We, we just said that. Like, um, boy, it sure is nice to have a partner because that's part of your safety net. And then one of the one of my buddies that edited it, he did like, a, he must have done like the, the, the find, search, replace function on the computer because everywhere that I had partner... 
he replaced with capable partner. Um, he said the yeah. point isn't that you're with somebody because yeah. quite often you know like if you're with somebody that doesn't know how to respond hasn't had that training doesn't have the same risk tolerance or, or or comfort talking about it that might not actually help you get that capable partner that does have that training that, yep. that you've worked with before that you trust so that was a really good lesson for me if i got that capable partner we talk about risk we do this sort of calculation as much as possible then I'd be more comfortable exposing myself to more hazard. Man, he answered it. That was Just good. The way I now you know. know. Well, yeah, because I, I've recently over the last couple of years dabbled in some solo adventures, and I like the idea. The preparation is awesome. The logistics are awesome because I don't mind jumping in my truck and driving a long way by myself. Yeah, packing up and thinking about it all. I don't have to consult with anybody you just make your plan and you mm. go after it and i love that yeah but then i found myself when i was like in it now you know climb the mountain and there was like i saw five bears in a day yeah and i was like oh and there's dens i'm walking by dens and i'm like now i'm like man i'm really fucking vulnerable here like yeah. all this was awesome until this point man i sure love to have a homie with me with a 44 back there yeah you know Making and that's noise. when i'm like man i would feel okay with it yeah if he was there she was there versus like it's just me so i was like i don't know i i guess i would probably i guess a good example too is like going shoot punting with chad last year and getting that ram like he pushed me over there to get that ram i would never done that by myself yeah so he in his mind calculated it all calculated the hazards completely transparent with the exposures that yeah. we we're going to have. Yeah. The hazards were going to be snow is going to come in and wind and all the other stuff. And, and we came up with a plan and like did it. And I was like, Oh, wasn't that bad. It's like, damn. So sometimes you need a partner there to push you to a limit that mm. was like, Oh, I didn't even know I had that. Totally. So then now you got this like extra tool in your bag. The next time you go out alone to calculate your risk, I guess like yeah. that's a badass way to put it. Is there a, uh, a time or a story um, that you'd be willing to share with maybe something didn't go right and things went wrong and a rescue or, or something like that in all, in all these trips you've done? Yeah, I had, um, and this, this won't come as any surprise to any of you, that like my evolution in adventuring, like evolution in anything, is that I, I accomplished something and I was like, that's badass. I just crushed that. I'm doing so good and I'm, and I'm just pushing pushing harder and harder and harder we um i'm doing wilderness classics i'm kicking butt you know i'm strong um not not running any problems but he says let's climb denali sweet let's climb denali we climbed denali no problem easy you know walk in the park awesome so i'm just pushing it and 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 then uh the year after that denali trip we did a, a trip to climb mount logan and we chose mount logan because denali's the tallest in north america logan's the second tallest so okay. sweet let's just mm -hmm. maybe i'll just start working my way down the chain you know yeah, be kind yeah. of a cool and where's thing. logan at it's in yukon but it's it's just in the corner there between um oh, the, the way we got to it was by starting in yakutat and, and going out to mccarthy okay so we 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 planned this trip and denali was so comfortable that um, we, we kind of apply the same approach, same tool set. We're self-supported. 
we fly into a village because that's cheap. We're using yeah. like we're paying six dollars to get to Yakutat with our Alaska Airlines miles, you know. And McCarthy on the road system, we catch a ride out. Like we're doing this because we're, you know, I probably was, I don't know, twenty eight or something, and um, or thirty something, but um, frugal, the nice way to say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cheap, yeah, yeah, cheap yeah, bastard. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and so then on that trip, a lot of stuff went wrong. And mm. you want some specifics, so it starts. We're going to climb Mount Logan. It's got this east ridge. Uh, that's our route up it. It's a semi-technical route, um, and we go up this 200-yard apron to access a ridge, and then trigger an avalanche. And I'm buried, and another guy ragdolls like at the top of the debris. So we both take a fall, and. Um, I'm partially buried at the bottom of that. I was able to, to just like you're supposed to, like punch an arm out and get that airway along an arm. So I, but midway through that run, there's a bergschrund. So in case listeners aren't familiar with that term, it's basically just like a, a crevasse. It's where the, the snow apron peels down just by, by gravity, peels down the face of the, of, the, um, of the mountain there and opens a gap like a crevasse. Mm. And I know that thing is coming, and I'm just choked in debris. I can't see anything. Like I'm, I'm literally having to to spit uh, snow out of my mouth because it's just cramming me. Can't control my arms. Can't control anything. And uh, I feel myself airborne over that gapping hole, and knowing that if I go into that thing, that's it. There's no way my crew could get me out. We've got shovels. We've got beacons, probes. We got that stuff. But you can't. You know, like I'm it's gonna too get deep. too deep. And then I feel myself land on the other side, and I'm just like, "Woo! <laughs> like this is amazing!" <laughs> you know, like knowing that my my chance for survival just went way up. And then I get that arm, that 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 airway at the bottom, and then I'm like, "I'm sweet. Those guys are gonna come get me. No problem. I chill out, recover." So that sucked. And then we. Made so they used the beacons to come find you. They didn't need to because I was able to get that arm out. Oh, and they saw it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, and even even then, I was even able to move some of the chunks of snow, like from my hand, and kind of like get myself Start out. Start digging bit. a little, a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't get myself all the way out, but I didn't need to because they're coming down. Um, so that was a close call. Like, by, by yeah, that was as close as it just gets. right out of the gate. Well, that was uh, ten days into that trip. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'd been. It took a while to get there to the, to approach that, and then we. Decided to ski around Mount Logan, like in the flats, and go up a non-technical route, a route that we could just ski all the way up, try to get on the summit. We do that. It was hard as well. <laughs> and we get up top, and uh, at some point during the day, I had moved my goggles up to my forehead, and it was like whiteout conditions. Didn't think of it. And I'm reading the GPS. I think that was, I forgot that. That was a big part of it, was that to see the GPS screen, I was having trouble seeing it through my goggles. No big deal. We do our, our super hard... <laughs> terrible day up at like 20,000 feet and then I get down to camp and I'm and I ask the guys like are you guys seeing this weird haze in the air and they're like nope uh oh so I got snow blindness mm -hmm. and so was like basically excruciatingly painful to open or close your eyes to blink mm. for maybe three days and and so we got pinned in the tent for a day with bad weather and then we're camped at like 16,000 and which is terrible on your body you just get weaker and weaker and we if if we could just drop you know anything drop any elevation i'm going to recover more quickly and they're going to recover too 
So we make a plan, and I basically snow plow down that damn thing blindfolded. Not blindfolded, but they put cardboard in front of my goggles, mm-hmm. so I couldn't really oh, so see. So you just kind of see, like, right? Man, I couldn't see any. They they poked a hole in a book cover. Like, the cardboard was a, was a I think it was like The Hobbit or something. Uh-huh. It's one of the Tolkien books. <laughs> yeah. I poked a little hole in the middle of it and put that inside my goggles, so it just blocked out everything except for this little pinhole. But effectively, I'm just snowblown. I'm on a rope. And uh, and I'm just trying to hold that rope tight, and every once in a while I smash into the guy in front of me, and <laughs> make him, you know, I fall or they fall. You were carrying, yeah, yeah. you know, sixty pound packs and all this crap. So that sucked too. And then I don't know, three four days later, we're floating the Chitna River out. This is our exit. We're home free and um, pushing it like uh, late in the day and goal oriented. I really want to get down to where there's driftwood on the on the shore so we fire. can have a fire our first fire you know yeah. this would be oh, a big man. deal and um and i swam two of us swam fell out of the boats capsized out of the boats and um at that point we're on like day 28 of this trip self-supported lost tons of weight like i remember the clouds would go over the sky and i'd be like i need to put a layer on or the clouds would go over the sun i mean clouds would move past the sun and be like i'm too hot like that's how yeah. transparent yeah. my body was and so I'm, I'm basically hypothermic there coming out of that swim. And, and I was able to get myself to shore. And um, it happened to be where there was the first wood. We had a big oh, fire. These guys uh-huh. made soup for me, filled me up. But I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my own clothes. Like I couldn't operate the zipper on my own. And I'm just wearing rain gear. Um, so, so that one trip, three, three nasty things, all to me. Other stuff happened to the other guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, you weren't the only one that... No, like uh, twenty-eight well, days. That's a long run, man. It, yeah, um, the other guy that was in the avalanche had a green streak fracture in his lower leg. So that's that's where like the bone kind of cracks but doesn't displace. Okay. So it's it's he was able to put weight on it, mm-hmm. but that sucked for him. Another Just guy hurting the whole time, hurting, and he ended up flying out. Um, another guy frostbit his thumb pretty bad. Another guy. Um, John got altitude sickness. So just a bunch of stuff went yeah. wrong. And, and we finished that trip, and it was a huge sense of accomplishment. We did this thing, self-supported. Um, but then it was so obvious that we had we had found and ex- extended past that, that risk envelope. Like the, It was all too close, too close yeah. to call. Um, and since then, I've crawled away from that. My risk tolerance has, has never been the same. And I'm okay with that. Like I kind of survived, and yeah. and it's yeah, totally did. <laughs> yeah. Well, without your guys, with the blindness thing, you would have been done up there. All of it. All of it. Yeah. The avalanche. Yeah. I mean, that just a, that. Twenty days. Like, how'd you guys eat? Like, what'd you guys? Two pounds a day. Yeah. Same. Uh, <sighs> we brought trail mix and Mountain House and chocolate and jerky and cheese. Yeah. M- mountain houses. Yeah. Uh, have you messed with any of the other there's i mean there's a ton of options now the only other one that i have had recently that was new to me is it peak yeah man those things are they pack a punch and it's like a a much better portion and a much better calorie count for me than mountain Mm -hmm. house and less water and quicker yep those have been really nice but they're so expensive yeah Mm -hmm. i had a (laughs) but they're so tasty pro deal for a little while with mountain house and and that was working really well for me their new portions are smaller which pisses me off like they don't do don't quite cut it for me yeah totally in that double serving yeah Yeah. well we messed up on uh, one of our first first like mountain hunts we got the pro pack one 
that didn't realize like that's like half. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we were eating was a pro pack yeah. on that, on that long trip. And we would boost it. We call it pro pack plus cause it would be, um, the pro pack was four ounces and then we'd bring another four ounces. And that second would be coconut oil or butter mm. or cheese, cheese yeah. powder, some way to just boost it with fats. Yeah. Mm. Cheese powder. Yeah, like, like a powdered cheese, like what you get in a, like a box of mac and cheese, but you can just buy the powder. Oh, mm. that would be actually really mm -hmm. good to add to something. Yeah, yeah. might give it some good flavor too. Huh? That stuff's great. Super salty. Yeah, yeah. Almost any one of those mountain houses, if you throw some Tillamook cheese in it, yeah, yeah, you just made like just a gourmet meal. You're just like <laughs> sitting up there, feeling like Adam Markham. <laughs> gourmet. That's right, dude. Uh, let's take one more second here and give another shout out to the sponsors and we'll come back to the original topic. <laughs> the Treehouse AK, your one-stop dispensary located at 341 Boniface Parkway. Be sure to ask the bud tender about their deal of the day because honestly, there's always something good on deck. And guys, listen, this is where the culture lives. At the Treehouse, their dedication to servicing consumers has been developed through a lifetime of involvement in the cannabis culture. They're committed to providing the highest quality products at whatever value your budget affords, while always maintaining the deep-rooted principles that have carried them this far. Their focus is on relationships over transactions, and you can always depend on them to treat you with the respect you deserve. Hit them up at thetreehouseak.com, and remember, you must be 21 years of age to enter their store. Tailored Restoration, 24-hour emergency home services, helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Tailored has an emergency response number with trained professionals available to help you at any time, day or night. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Make an appointment today at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Since 2008, Serrano's is Anchorage's own new generation of Old Cocina. Their menu showcases the passion and love of their rich heritage and unique family recipes that have been passed down through the generations. Serrano's goal is to embrace and display trad flavors using the best ingredients that are available. They focus on making everything from scratch daily. In-house menu includes handcrafted corn tortillas, salsas, carne asada, and chorizo. But don't take their word for it. Experience their tradition and sabor for yourself. Locations on Tudor and Northern Lights, both with new tequila bars. Check out their daily specials at serranosmexicangrill.com. The Connoisseur Lounge, located in the heart of Palmer, Alaska. The Connoisseur Lounge is Palmer's first locally owned and operated cannabis retailer. Their beautiful store is located at 226 Evergreen Avenue. The Connoisseur Lounge has exclusive cannabis products such as Snowcap Romance, Aurora Haze, Super Glue, and one of our favorites, Sugar Cookies. And if you're not into the flower, the connoisseur can hook you up with edibles, vape supplies, and a ton of CBD options for all your health and inflammation needs. Check out their daily deals at theconnoisseurlounge.net, or even better, stop by the lounge today. Remember, you must be 21 years of age to enter their store. Uh, Rockies or, you know, like jagged, There's you know, gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want um, to, to start with the pack rafting um, topic. Have you seen a really big evolution in how good they are, how light they are, materials? Like, do you, do you have a good history on? Yeah. Yep. I, I started, I think, maybe 15 years ago now, and that was that was the 
not the first generation of these of these recreational pack rafts, but um, the, the basically the second model. The first ones, and I still see every every now and then I see one of them around. There are these real distinct like green boats with yellow tape on the seams. Yeah. So I missed that era um, and got in on the next the next evolution, which in, the biggest difference was it included a spray skirt, like a, a Velcro attached yeah. skirt to help shed water. And since then, a bunch of design improvements and material improvements, um, and a lot of that's coming from from Alpaca, that original brand that was mm-hmm. here from Alaska. But there's also advancements getting made. Like, you know, there's more than 30 manufacturers now, which is oh, a really? huge change wow. from even five years ago. And so with so many different people designing boats and making boats, there's a lot of uh, new insights and, and people are trying new things with the designs. Where do you see the future of it? Oh, yeah, good question. Something <coughs> that's happening already is that there used to be just one option. And now there's kind of like with skis, you know, the people that are real serious about it have a quiver of boats. And there's like, oh, this is my fast and light one for racing. This is my my double canoe style that's good for fishing. And this is my one that's more durable for shallow water or whatever. So I, I think there will be more and more like specialty intended, specialty designed boats um, and that'll include the the performance end of whitewater, like class four, class five capable boats, and 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 they're already there. There are paddlers that are doing that kind of water pretty consistently. Um, but then there'll also be like the two pound boat that's that's good for an adventure race. That's basically just designed to get you across a body of water, but not maybe flowing down it. Um, that's kind of I guess what I see. Yeah. What what about in the paddles? Paddle designs haven't changed much, and, and this is because the, the kayak community has basically already figured it out. Mm. And there's just kind of a hierarchy of, of material more than anything else. It'll be like plastics at the entry level, and then fiberglass at the middle level, and then carbon fiber at the sort of pro level. Oh, so carbon fiber is the hot boy? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's stiff, it's light, it's strong, it's everything, including more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 10 times as much as the plastic one. <laughs> That's probably about right. Yeah. The plastic. Yeah. I mean, it's a hundred, and that one's a thousand. <laughs> I think you could. I think the best carbon paddle for kayaking you could get is probably about five hundred bucks. Yeah, six hundred bucks. Yeah, be a thousand soon with inflation. <laughs> That's probably right. Yeah. So, it, it, sorry. What, go ahead. Like in the in like when the improvements on boats, what what's changed since like I think mine are two thousand ten. So I think I have like kind of like that third or fourth gen. I think my boat is that the same one as that bottom left corner. It looks just the green like one? that one. Yeah. Yeah, so one th- one improvement with the design is that the the early boats always had an issue where you, most of your weight was behind the center of the yeah. boat. So you're you're riding mm. in the back of the boat um, and the and the tends to want to come up. Yep, the yeah, bow, mine does bow wants mm. to rise yep. up and the stern is sitting deep in the water. So newer boats have a, a larger stern, a more buoyant stern mm-hmm. to kind of balance that out. Okay. So that the boat sits flat in the water. Yeah. That's a that's a really nice feature. It would be nice to have. It would be. Yeah, I put like a big old dry bag up high on the front to counterbalance totally. that. Man, we yeah. used to put a rock in there at our feet. Oh, you did? To, like talk about managing risk or whatever. Yeah. It's like how dumb to have a freaking rock in there and you're yeah like we're swimming all the time you got a rock like just yeah. waiting to smack you 
So <laughs> they've, they've solved that problem. All right. And then there's some pretty cool stuff with the shape. It's also kind of like skis where, you know, there's like, there's a little bit of a rocker. There's like okay. an early rise. And uh-huh. um, the the big design feature that folks are trying to figure out now is how to give the boat a little more edge. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is kind of borrowing from the kayak community because when you can get a boat, like some kayaks, people talk about boats in terms of uh, stability and there's primary stability and there's secondary stability. Primary is where it just you're sitting flat in the water. So uh, a pack raft has incredible primary stability because mm-hmm. you're sitting on flat water and you're just like, man, I could be, I could stand up in this thing. Mm. You get a pack raft up on edge and it's very unstable because you got this perfectly round tube. Yeah. So yeah. whenever you get it on edge, and when I say that, I mean something that the wind could cause or turbulent water could cause. Rapids absolutely cause that. You get that thing up on edge and the, the poor secondary stability cause it to flip. Yep. Kayaks have poor, not all, but like a, a standard river kayak will have poor primary stability. I got in my first kayak, I go out to the lake and I'm just like, what the heck? Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like shaking. I can't yeah. find it's my like balance. Workout totally. Already. It's yeah. all yeah. core. Wants you, to roll on you. You get that thing on edge, and you can actually be more stable, more comfortable, leaning, putting all your weight on one mm-hmm. sits bone. It's got excellent secondary stability. Yeah. So the pack raft designers, manufacturers, some of them are trying to figure this out and figure out how mm-hmm. can we how can we improve the second stability on the pack rafts. Oh, that's super cool. What kind of ideas have come out so far? The only one I've seen, and there's I think two brands doing it, is they basically have two two floors and then inflatable chamber in between those floors. And what that does is it creates a flat section on the hull so that it's not perfectly round. Yeah. You get that flat section when you put your weight on that, when you're on edge, Mm -hmm. and you can hang out there in that position. Okay. And then you couple that with paddle control, and it allows you to just carve into features and catch currents differently. And, And with boat control... Um, it can make it a lot more playful experience and, and it's really only relevant to whitewater, but for folks that are seeking that, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Yeah. What are you using now? I'm in a, in a Wolverine, which is their sort of sporty, which is Alpaca's sporty whitewater boat. Okay. And it's awesome. It's my favorite by far. Can you pull that up? It's yeah. Wolverine and Expedition. They're two, they have the same hull. They just have a couple different minor features, but it's, um, it's, I think, the natural evolution of those first boats. It's kind of where they meant to, where they were meant to come. Uh, just that it's a little more playful, but, um, but not that much heavier, not that much wider or anything. Right. Is there um, kayak pack raft beef? Yeah, <laughs> there is. Oh yeah, yeah, like snowboard skiers. Yeah, that, I mean, like when I was looking at that picture that was up behind, it was like all pack rafts, like. Yeah. Is there a little conflict there? Or, or? Yep, for sure. Um, probably, l- I think I would guess less now than there used to be, but for sure initially, and a big part of the problem was that because of that primary stability in pack rafts, it was easy for me as a beginner getting that boat, paddle a little bit of, you know, 20 mile we talked about earlier, yeah. some of these like pretty s- simple rivers, be like, I got this. Yeah. This is not that hard. And then I jump on class three and then I jump on class four and then I'm swimming like crazy. And the people that are helping are the kayakers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're messing up their vibe, man. Well, they're just like, they're worried about us. Yeah. Cause they're like, yeah. these guys are paddling stuff 
without the skill set to actually manage it. Like they're just getting lucky. And that was absolutely uh. my case. I got lucky for years, years and years and years. <laughs> and then honestly for me, it was losing a friend that, that oh, shocked shit. me out of that. It was just like, oh shit. Like we, I shouldn't be on this water. I don't know how to catch an eddy. And then through that loss and, the, and, and relearning, I very intentionally relearned how to read water, how mm -hmm. to manage my boat. And then that, that's what eventually ended up motivating me to put that book together, Packraft yeah. book. What did you do to relearn that? Did you, did you like reach out to experts or? Yeah, I, yep. I, I went for more direct mentoring. Mm -hmm. I bought a kayak. Yeah. <laughs> Shh, don't tell wow. anybody that. All of the, all of a mediocre kayak, kayaker sits in a pack raft and is like, damn, dude, this guy is good. You know, mediocre pack rafter sits in a kayak and boom, they're upside down. Yeah. Mm. So I was like, what do these guys know that, that we don't? What yeah. am I missing? And yeah. a lot of it is that edge control. Okay. Yeah. And, the, and part of it is that if you mess up in a kayak, you know it. You're upside down. Yeah. And then if you, if you exit your kayak, the boat fills up with water. It weighs 400 pounds. And all your partners let you know how much it sucks to manage that boat, to pull that 400-pound load to shore, dump it out, drain it, all that stuff. So there's some sort of self, um, gosh, what's the right way to say it? There's some sort of like self-enforced learning where yeah. it's like when you mess up in a kayak, you know it. And so you're more motivated to learn how to roll. Yeah. More, mm -hmm. more motivated to not get in over your head, you mm -hmm. know, to start on the easier water and, yeah. and perfect those moves yeah, before you jump to into, to build up slowly. Yeah, baby steps. So that was part of it. And then I, um, I trained to get uh, a teaching position do, doing the swift water safety work. Oh, right. And that was a big part of it, too. It was like, I don't know what to do if things go wrong. If I had been with Rob when he fell out of his boat, could I really have helped? I want to think I could have helped. I, I, of course, every almost like, it's not daily anymore, but for a while daily, it's like, if I had been there, could I have... I mm -hmm. probably would have made a difference. With your training. Yeah. Well, now, maybe. Mm -hmm. But at the time, probably not. Probably not. And maybe even now, probably not. Yeah. Honestly. Like, so uh, that was part of the, the recovery path for me, too, was to get that formal training to mm -hmm. work. That took several years to work with this company and be like, what do I need to know? And I shadowed and I you know, learned from the best. And then I started teaching those. And that's an awesome way to learn. Like, when you're teaching, that's... You have to know stuff so well, and then I'm watching the same um, exercises throughout the summer, and I see what works and what doesn't work, and I get to cherry pick and like, here's what works, and try yeah. this. And so I I put all of that. That was probably a, a seven or eight year curve um, that ended. Basically, I'm teaching, and I'm I, I had a, a, a regular job, full time job, and so the teaching was sort of an outreach mm -hmm. effort. And I'm reaching like 20 people a year, yeah, you know, just like nothing. Yep. And then I think, oh, if I put this in a book, yeah, I could reach six thousand. That's amazing. It's super cool that you did that. And it just seems like it's just waiting for you to finish it. Everybody will buy it up, and everybody will read it. Oh, it's and done. Then, oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I meant the. Uh, I'm sorry, I was referring to the um, ice skating one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I got confused. That was <laughs> that one's nowhere near. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. 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 No, but that that's what. It takes to to have those experiences to build up to gotcha. be able to put it in in text, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. I've thought about it with the pet with the the Packraft book just made so much sense. Like I had the motivation. I I went through the mm-hmm. process of relearning and then teaching it. All of that just put me in a position to be able to explain it. I don't have any of that for ice skating. <laughs> ice skating, yeah, I've got yeah, some yeah, like yeah. clever <laughs> stories and I'm yeah. like but it makes me feel like I'm trying to figure out how to do that now and be sure. like, how do I write this book without actually being an expert? Because yeah. in the Packraft safety I I was. Like or I am. Mm-hmm. I'm an expert at that. You gotta move to Norway. <laughs> I've I I would love to do a trip out there and see because those guys are coming up with some really cool safety um, sort of protocols and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see what they're doing. Is there a beginner's pack raft versus like an advanced one? Because as we are looking at the pictures, um, obviously the shape is different. Like some are pointed and some are rounded and, you know, obviously there's been some evolution there. Is there one that you would say a new person should start with? Boy, not really. I, you know what I say when people ask is um, what you can afford, what you can borrow. Yeah. Because they are expensive. So expensive. Um, there's a, a, a classic model. It's called the Classic. And that's a great boat to start in. That's that's what I had. That's what you, mm-hmm. that's what Jack had um, or has. Does it come with the rock now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to pay extra for the Sheep rock. horns, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. But there's no reason that a beginner wouldn't um, feel comfortable in this this more whitewater oriented boat that okay. I'm in. Yeah, I think the only thing you could really do wrong with the purchase is that um, some boats aren't intended for downriver travel. Like if you buy that two pound boat, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be dangerous if you try to bring it through any rapids. Yeah. So so there's there's something about recognizing the limitations and this is true for all your equipment right for your hunting gear too it's like mm-hmm. recognize limitations of your shoes of your tent of your rain jacket like so that's the place you could go wrong with a boat yeah you know starting out as a you know out of nowhere right when the pack rafts kind of came out you know you you see you saw i saw a few people using them heard a few people using them and then i you know went and got the pot pack raft and um you know, I, there wasn't like this community I could reach out to. I mean, I'd search forums and try to find like, Hey, what, you know, has anyone done Glacier Creek? Is it clear log jams and stuff? And there wasn't really like a good place at that time to look. And, uh, you're, what you said earlier about the kayak and like learning that first is that makes so much sense because, you know, just Glacier Creek stuff not very tough if you've like grew up like whitewater canoeing and that kind of stuff but you know you you bring these other people with you that also have pack rafts and you kind of don't know their skill and their background their history and what they've done and uh i mean they're you know the one of the trips it was terrifying how um un- underprepared they were and uh it just makes so much sense that there should be some sort of like train because it is so easy to get into it and go down the river in those paths and look stable. But then as soon as you go around a corner and there's, you know, some sweepers or it's a tight blind corner or something, someone's has to do some sort of maneuver around them and they're, they're not trained in that. Then, you know, you have people swim in or whatever. And if there was some sort of class that people could take or resources to use like your book to, um, you know, feel more comfortable and learn that information up ahead of time. And for me, it would be like practicing on a kayak or something. Um, man, that would just be great. What, what other resources other than, you know, your book do you, would you recommend, uh, kind of an amateur or new? I mean, the, by far the greatest learning density is to, is to hire somebody like get an instructor. 
Um, and there are a handful of those options. There's more and more every year. Yeah. Um, and that's expensive, but that's also, that is like learning dense. Like you could, yeah. I'm, you know, you guys can tell I'm total math dork here, but like I could calculate that. It's like, here's my learning per dollar. Yeah. Um, and you're going to get the most of that working on, you know, like a one-on-one -on -one lesson. Heck yeah. Yeah. If you have friends that can play that role, um, that's great. I'm always a little bit cautious about that because some folks will just say, yeah, go for it. You got it. And yeah. you really want that person that says, go for it. You got it because I'm going to be downstream with the rope and we got this set up and I know this rapid and there's no, it's not going to keep you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like to have that mentor that's, that's really playing a safety game. Right. Um, so, so those, those are both I think way more valuable than reading. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hope people buy the book, but reading can only get you so much. Right. That's a very cerebral um, mm. understanding of the concepts. And what you, what you really want is that physical, that practical muscle memory of this is what it's like to, to brace myself so I don't tip upside down, or this is what it's like to read this rap and whatever. So, and not everybody has access to instruction or yeah. to mentors. And so then it's just baby steps. And, the strategy that I really like for that is it's, it's just called it's paddle up a level. And it, it just means that you can make class three maneuvers, um, you know, technical maneuvers on easier water. You don't have to be in hard water to make those hard moves. So you practice hard water moves on easy water where, yep. where there isn't that much of a consequence. Mm. Like, you know, there isn't any wood or it's not that cold or whatever. It could be any of those factors. But that allows you to build that muscle memory without actually being exposed to the hard stuff. Right. Then when you're ready, go do the hard stuff. Yeah. How about um, if, you, if you're getting ready to plan a trip, um, like closer to real-time resources on, you know, the conditions of rivers and if people have floated them recently, what, you know, if there's any log jams and that kind of stuff? So the American Packrafting Association has a forum um, and and – APA was started by a guy in Eagle River, and it had a huge Alaska sort of chapter. And I don't know what's going on, but that's been down for um, a year or something now. And I hear that they've still got the forum contents and they're going to bring it back, but I haven't seen that yet. But that's one potential source. I assume it will come back to life at some point. And then there's a Facebook group, um, yeah. Packraft Alaska, and there's a mm. kayak one too. And, and more and more of the kayak community is embracing the Packraft community because packrafters are starting taking the the safety part seriously and they're showing up with appropriate gear they're wearing helmets and they're um, not jumping into class four water on their first season so both of those groups are are excellent for for looking for current river conditions that's where i go okay and people are great they you know they go run six mile and they say hey there's new wood in the second canyon right below such and such yeah that's awesome that is so valuable yeah know that yeah absolutely we kind of skimmed over. Um, you mentioned a couple of times you, you've doing the uh, the skiing of the Iditarod Trail. Yeah. Um, how many sections have you done so far? I just skied just last week. I finished. I skied from McGrath to New Lotto, and then I'm heading out later this week to go to Koyuk and Unalakleet. But I'm just going to ski those two chunks. Are you actually on the same trail that, yeah. that they go? Yeah. And did you plan it purposely now that it's kind of groomed and all these people have done it? And yeah. And I thought, man, when I was skiing this section from the Cusco Quim last week, 
I thought, there is no way you could pay me to break trail through all this. Like, it just wasn't, the terrain is not that interesting, even though, I mean, I grew up out there. That's my hometown, McGrath. But compared to the Brooks Range, the Alaska Range, the Chugach, the Wrangell, like pretty much anywhere, I'm on skis out there. I'm just like, what am I doing out here? So I was <laughs> really grateful to be on, basically I timed it to, to come right after Iron Dog to have as much hard pack trail as possible. It's really cool how they time that, where they have the snow machine guy go, and then the... Yeah. And I'm sure there's... Do you run into other people that are doing the same thing? They're uh, not... The other people that are doing that are doing it as part of the ITI. Um, I did a road trail invitational. So that's a a bike or ski or walk slash run race. Those guys start um, a week before the Iditarod. Okay. And most of them stop in McGrath. And then a few, they probably have, I don't know, maybe 80 people that go to McGrath and maybe 10 that continue on to Nome. Yeah. So those guys will be out there. Some of them are still out there now. Um, but I didn't see any of that. I didn't see anybody. Nice. Just solo? Solo. Not by choice. I had a partner lined up, but he wasn't able to make yeah. it. I, I generally, yeah, I would have enjoyed it more with a partner. Are you planning, yeah. to, you stopping and, and camping in cabins, or are you camping outside sometimes? On this one, I was, I used every cabin I could. Okay. And that was awesome. That was a real treat. There was, um, well, the first day I skied to Takotna, which is a community 20 miles west of McGrath, and, um, and I was able to stay there with my my best friend from elementary school. Oh, nice. Yeah, who I haven't seen since then. I haven't seen since oh, sixth wow. grade. Yeah. Wow. So that was awesome. I stayed with him and got to, like, see what he's doing now. We're, you know, we're both, like, 43, so uh, big, big changes. That's so cool. That was awesome. And then from there I was able to ski a couple long days to hit shelter cabins. And and so I only ended up sleeping out two nights out of eight, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) What are you looking at to find the cabins and make sure they're going to be available and that kind of stuff? These ones were... um, I did a rod, and they were both marked by by friends that have done that ITI event, uh-huh. but they're also on, like, BLM websites. Yeah. So I knew the lat longs of the cabins. Sweet. Yeah. Is the goal to do the whole trail? No, the goal, this is kind of silly. Well, you guys have kids. You, you guys watch Molly of Denali? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, Jack, you got to check out Molly of Denali. What? No. It's the Alaska cartoon. It's yeah. also the... What I tell people from out of state that, are, you know, they're, they're aware of all these Alaska reality TV shows that I've never heard of. And I said, the only real Alaska TV is Molly of Denali. All right. It's it's awesome. It's a cartoon? It's yeah. a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's a cartoon. It's animated, yeah. Okay. We, we don't have kids, but my wife and I, we, we watch it all the time. We love all it. All right. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Where do you watch yeah. it? Like YouTube? No, it's like PBS, PBS. Kids. Man. Oh, yeah. it is PBS Kids. <laughs> yeah. All right. Straight cable, Online or, or on yeah. TV. PBS. Yeah. yeah. It's PBS right, but I always just click on wildcraft for them yeah yeah it's actually won a lot of awards and stuff like that because it's truly like alaskan made it's awesome alaskan native that's awesome yeah Yeah. native voices and writers and producers everything it's like awesome and it's and it's accurate yeah and 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 molly's this great role model and yeah it's pretty sweet sweet it really is so she has part of her like intro song or whatever is about from kaktovic to juno always wanting to know more and so i saw that and she's got a little map and i was like you know what, I've, I've skied or I've connected almost all of that. And so I've just got a couple segments left. And if I can finish those off, then I will have 
by my own power, you know, hiked, backpacked, whatever, ice skated all of uh, Kektovik to Juno. So that's what I'm working on with these little chunks of trail. Yeah. Yeah. That's super rad. I've got is, maybe man. three segments left, which is pretty damn close. What what are they? <coughs> I need to get from Kivalina to Kotzebue mm-hmm. in the northwest. They're all in the northwest. Okay. And I need to get from Unalakleet to Koyak, but that's what I'm going to do next week. And then from Koyak to Selawik. Okay. <laughs> then you're going to get the Molly tattoo? And then I'm going to get the Molly tattoo. <laughs> the Molly tat? <laughs> it's on your calf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool that's good <laughs> well like you know i asked before when you you were talking about the um the wilderness races and i know it's a self thing but is there some sort of a, a prize or a plaque or a belt or something you some something that they've created that you got at home no is there a shrine Nothing? hall of fame t-shirts we get some t-shirts every oh. now and then yeah yeah yeah, it's not. It's like a, it's a real grassroots thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They'll they'll make a hoodie or something, you know, with a em- embroidered patch or something on it. But yeah, and then somebody doesn't. You know, they. You know, it's usually it's like somebody's kid that designs it, and uh, <laughs> like a college kid or something. And <laughs> yeah. then they they just charge everybody at cost for the for whatever it is. How many uh, rivers would you say? pack rafted <laughs> gosh is there a rough uh, number yeah got? actually i mean not that many I, I go back to the same rivers a lot but i don't know maybe 40 50 60. all in alaska or are you doing out-of-state stuff i've done a little bit out of state but mostly i've mostly alaska what are some of your favorites um boy being here in anchorage you know we have uh, access to six mile which is absolutely world-class whitewater and it's funny, I, I'm generally not interested in redoing stuff that I've done before, like certainly in terms of hiking and backpacking, but I could, I think I could paddle six mile every day. And part of it is that it's different every time, different uh-huh. water level, different mm. color and all that. Um, but six mile is world-class. And then Little Sioux at, at the base of Hatcher Pass, yeah. that's another phenomenal mm. run, super fun, gorgeous, and very different from six mile. It's a lot of boulders, uh-huh. a lot steeper gradient. Um, and then Willow is another world-class run, and um, and that's that one I don't run as often just because it's a little bit further away. Um, but but those are all some of my favorites, and they're all road access, just easy, yeah. hour yeah. and a half away. Right. So cool. Did you do airdrops and then come out like Sheep Creek or Kishwetna or any of those kind of things? I've done sheep, but we hiked in instead of doing an airdrop. Okay, yeah, I took the trail up. Uh, ATV to start, mm-hmm. yeah, and then just high country. That was a long time ago. I don't remember it too well, but I've done other trips like Talkeetna. We'll fly in for Talkeetna. Mm. That's a really nice river. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be a nice... And is that from the canyon above, section? Above the canyon, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll fly into, it's, it's like Stephenson or Murder Lake, I think is one of those. And then dump out onto the river and... All the way to town. Wow. Nice. Is it pretty sketchy through the canyon right there? It's it's full on class four. Yeah. It yeah. looks just really powerful the way it like I've gone at low water and that's been okay. on purpose. Oh. Yeah. By design. Yeah. <laughs> yep. As you're cruising by the Mahays jet water. boat waving. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. your eye on any trips this this year or some some things that you haven't done yet that that's on the bucket list? Um 
the the main focus really is trying to finish these segments on my silly little Molly Denali. Um, but my wife and I will do another trip into the Northwest, like not the actual Brooks Range, but there's a little pot of mountain south of the Brooks Range that we're really excited to go hike in. It looks like like there's no brush in any of the valley floors, so it mm. looks like really good water. Is that Google Earth? It looks <laughs> like that. Let me tell you, <laughs> where is that? Um, it's part of the. I think it's part of the DeLong. No, no, it's Baird. It's part of the Baird Mountains, but okay. but, but Baird kind of contains a big, a larger area. Um, but it's it's basically northeast of Kotzebue and not too far from Kotzebue. Cool. So I think it'll be kind of an affordable flight and, and mm-hmm. just really good walking. Looks like there's a lot of good caribou trails through the passes and mm. yeah. So it's it's Beautiful but it's country. isolated. We won't be able to cover a lot of ground, but we will probably do something more kind of base campy and do some fishing and, and some smaller hikes. Awesome. Sounds amazing. Yeah, I've got. I've got a my. I'll never match my wish list of you know, things I want to do in Alaska. It's just you can't. It can't. So and, much you want, and I appreciate that about it. But yeah. It, sometimes I get stressed out. I was like, oh, I really want to, you know, paddle this river and do these hikes, and it w- it won't all happen. But I've got a list. What yeah. kind of uh, Brooks Range trips have you done? I've I I've done a few ski trips that were all centered on the hall road uh-huh and then we've done summer trips my wife and i um that have that cover all the way from kivalina to kaktovic okay yeah so three different years we did like the, the arctic refuge and we did the gates and then yep. we did western brooks range you know, okay three different chunks and those were all maybe 350 mile trips sweet if you connected uh you know you're hiking up there to some pack rafting rivers what what river would you pick so this is this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with vulnerability uh-huh. and i my those favorite rivers that i mentioned those are all the roadside class four yeah like technical water and when i'm going remote into the mountains even though i'm with some partners i'm dropping because we're more exposed there because we're that much farther from help i'm personally choosing less technical rivers sure so i'm not seeking that same six miles style rapid in yeah. the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. um same thing on skis like i'm way more comfortable skiing steep stuff at the resort yeah. than i am an av- avalanche train right same game mm-hmm. yeah so um the rivers that we floated up there have been class two uh-huh. and that's felt awesome yeah and and we kind of feels like you can't go wrong yeah yulatna awesome john awesome like no attack awesome um not as exciting but but then that sort of okay it's more of a scenic yeah um, a scenic float way more enjoyable long run right yeah like it's Looks not more comfortable so sketchy yeah you're yeah. not like you don't have elevated stress the whole yeah. time yeah. anxiety about this sweep or this stretch coming up exactly you know and and one kind of wild thing about the brooks range that's that's easy to overlook is that um their rivers respond to rain a lot more quickly than ours do down here mm. and it's a it's because of permafrost and soil you know what mm-hmm. and all that vegetation but um several of our trips up there have switched from like barely floatable to flood stage in like a day yeah mm-hmm. and so even though those rivers that i mentioned class two these were great destinations they can also and have caused problems caused fatalities so that's that's this tricky thing too where it's it's class two but then at high water, 
if you're going unprepared or you're cutting all those corners because you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, maybe you're, you're not bringing a life vest or something like that's certainly nothing I would uh, ever recommend, but because that people are, can get in trouble even on class two water. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think maybe the most scenic float up there that I w- that we did was the Alotna or, or maybe the Ambler. We got okay. the Ambler with really good water. Yeah. Um, other people do seek more of the white water and, and they'd have better answers like Roman dial and thinking of, he's done a lot of white water paddling up there. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking more of a, a scenic float. That's a trip that I've always wanted mm-hmm. to do is go up there and trek around for a week or two and like have some point a and B to get to, but finish it out with the river. I would, tr- I would look at the Arctic refuge, the stuff that's East of the road. Yeah. The hiking was the, the best there that I that we experienced in any of the brooks and then the rivers were awesome and they weren't scary yeah mm-hmm. and there's some pretty cool stuff you can do either from the road or to the road mm-hmm. that then cuts your cost a lot yeah like Ivishak to the exactly. side yeah. I think the Ivishak is probably the number one if I was gonna just do one yeah that's, I would probably personally I would hike to the Ivishak because I like that part yeah and then float out yeah about four years ago, we had that planned, and uh, I was up there, and we were going to do it on, like, a, I want to say, like, a Monday, and everyone else was going to fly up, and then this blizzard, it was, like, late in the year, <laughs> and this blizzard hit in, like, Classic. late August, and we're like, okay, really? when's the blizzard going to stop, and three days later, the blizzard's still going, and we're like, all right, well, we're not doing this trip, so, <laughs> yeah, yep. someday. Avishak, Canning, Hula Hula. Uh, Oak Plaque, those ones, that's moving west to east. Yeah. Man, every one of those, absolutely worth checking out. Cool. Do you have, a, like, a, <clears throat> a time of year, or like, for the season that you would pick? For where, the Brooks Range? Yeah, where the water conditions are, like, your best bet is? I'm mostly deciding, for the Brooks Range, I'm trying to avoid the bugs. That's my priority. <laughs> and for those, I want to get there as soon as possible or as late as possible Mm. and this is the kind of stuff that i would ask you know some of my older trip partners and stuff like roman dial and brad micklejohn these guys that have been up 30 years in a row and and roman used to say mid-june that's when you want to start your trip but he's saying now that's changing because of climate change Mm. and so even earlier yeah still have it but basically i'm trying to time it so that there's just the end of snow and yeah. the vegetation hasn't greened out hasn't brushed out and and what what my wife and i've been doing all or two of those trips i guess have been mid-june to early july and by that early july and maybe it's because we're on the coast at that point but the bugs are bad by yeah, then. yeah totally oh, so bad yeah it's just a cloud over you yeah when when do you find it to be like safe to start messing around in some of those drainages where the ice has busted and come down and done that thing like off ice. Yeah, like what? When is that? Um, so like early June? Would that be like early June's probably early. Okay. Yeah. Like I guess what I'm saying is like could a guy go up there with the intent of going up into a drainage, rafting, hiking, combo, and then get caught in like where something busts ahead up up top and washed out. So there's like a serious oh, like hazard a there. Yeah, it's like a would you say like after June first or whatever would be a good time that ice and water's busted out of there? 
I gotcha. I think by June, stuff has flushed through already. Okay, yeah. flushed through. There we go. I thought yeah. maybe you meant, because there's off ice up there. The, the That's like overflow ice that can, can last multiple years, actually, in those valleys. It's, it's off ice is A-U-F-E-I-S. It's or you get like a, a wedges German in the term. mud and, and the it's, sediment. It's, on and the, the, it's just on the surface, but it's just like an ice shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an extra hazard to those rivers up there, and, and many of those rivers have off ice. Yeah. I actually don't understand too well how it forms, but it, it is something about um, like persistent overflow that freezes and just keeps accumulating. Mm, stacks. Stacks, and then insulates itself, and so that's how it can last all the way through into August. Wow. You can see it in the, in the satellite imagery. Yeah. And, and that's like any hazard. Yeah. If you went into something, some some of that, where either just because it's got steep walls, kind of like you're cliffed out, um, or I know a guy last year that went under, got pulled under, wow. and then lived. Uh, but his partner had already hit SOS, was just like, we're doing a body recovery. Yeah. They ended up finding each other like six hours later or something. He spit wow. out underneath it and then. He was able to up. like breathe in a few air pockets midway. At some point, he got pinned between the sediment and the ice and he was able to like shuffle laterally to a deeper part in the channel just absolute horror story um and they managed it these guys like they had a skill set to to be able to recover from that which i think is really impressive wow Hmm. he needs the beaver tattoo (laughs) okay yeah, or the muskrat (laughs) the muskrat (laughs) so with that what are you using for satellite imagery um, I'm using, I'm using a bunch of stuff um, when I'm drawing routes, I'm using Google earth, mm-hmm. but Esri's imagery, Esri is just like another flavor, different brand. Esri is imagery is often higher resolution for parts of Alaska. Okay. So I'm pulling that imagery into Google earth as well. Okay. And it takes a couple little steps, but that way I can just toggle between the two mm-hmm. and work with whatever is the highest resolution. Right. So I do that. that. That's the best resolution I can find for, for drawing my lines on the map. And then I'm also using some of these near real-time satellite sources for things like off-ice or looking for lake ice to skate. Mm-hmm. And that will be NASA's MODIS. Um, and it'll also be Sentinel, which is Sentinel is a European Space Agency program. And Sentinel has uh, Landsat and has land and, and Sentinel... A handful of different satellites, but Sentinel Two is the one that I uh-huh. like. <laughs> and it, can you log in for free? Those or are all pay? free. Yep, and oh, sweet. and they're all kind of intimidating. Um, like, you know, it's kind of heavy stuff you're looking at and trying to figure out how to use it. I've yep. got a, I I made a like a Crowdcast presentation on how to use those that I can I can send you guys. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. They're super valuable, and the the NASA one is available twice a day, but it's not very high resolution. But you can always get it. Uh-huh. And then the Sentinel one is available maybe twice a week, but it's the highest resolution. So I kind of play between those two um, to to just get as much information as possible. It's it's all part of my like planning and preparation. Like that's one of our like leave no trace principles. Is like yeah. go in prepared. So yeah. I'm using those tools to 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 know as much as possible before going on a trip. Yeah, that's awesome. It's amazing the level of preparedness we can have now. It is amazing, and there's some downsides to it too. But but for me, it's really just I feel like it's making things safer, and it's allowing me to be more ambitious with my trips. Yeah, mm-hmm. the downside being like sometimes there's a risk that we overlook. 
Yeah, I think there's there can be a false sense of security yeah. because of like, oh yeah, I looked, there's no off ice, you know, or like you were joking about like, oh, there's no brush from outer space. Yeah. But that's a joke I make with my wife all the time. It's like, <laughs> we've done- You can easily a, walk through there. <laughs> I had a, one trip that I, I, I thought I found some rocky soil. And that's what I thought it was based on the Google Earth imagery. We get there and it was a burn. Like there was a bunch of trees, oh, down shit. trees. That's oh. why it was gray. Oh, but no. the difference between walking on rocky soil versus walking oh, through man. a burn—that's a Which big could difference. Be just the worst. Yeah. So I, so yeah, with my wife, I'm just constantly like, I thought this looked so good from outer space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the mushrooms are so good, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sketchy, man. Walking on burns the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Oh, worst. That wasn't. Yeah, that was bad. Just feels like you're gonna like. As soon as you see it, you're like, "There's a chance I'm gonna break my leg today." Walking <laughs> through this, it's like the first thing I think of every time. Like, that's a broken limb. Yeah, is what that equals. Just don't walk through it. <laughs> <laughs> what What other type of activities are are you and your wife into? Or is I that pretty much you're just so yeah, focused? I, I think we covered them. It's it's skating and packrafting and skiing. And um, I used to do a lot of backcountry skiing. I'm doing less of that now. This year I did almost all cross country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the core of it. Nice, nice. And you do you do fish and? Um, I do fish. You guys yeah. would you not by you guys would. Yeah, I don't know what you think about my style of fishing. <laughs> well, I mean, do you, do you harvest and, you know, eat fish and eat meat oh, and stuff like that? Well, so I grew up doing that stuff. Mm-hmm, McGrath, yeah. And I don't do it on my own at this point. Yeah. And it's, it's real interesting. I've been trying to, I've thought through about why. Because it's like, you know, if we had a buffet here and I could choose anything I want, I'd, and, and part of it was like, you know, uh, freezer-burned moose. I'd probably take that freezer-burned moose. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... I, you know, I think part of it was that it was never fun as a kid. It was a chore. Yeah. Like mm. it was uh, taking care of the dogs was a chore. I, I like some dogs here and there, but like, man, I don't want a dog. Like that's a job. That's yeah. and, and hunting is that way too. And, and I want that meat, but I don't want to do the work to get it. <laughs> yeah. That's where yeah. I'm at right now. And I hope that changes. And I think it will as I, as like, as I'm less able or less willing to do some of this more remote stuff, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I should be going out to McGrath to help my folks hunt and stuff, but I'm not doing that right now. And there's still roots back in McGrath. They're still summering there's, there. Yeah. Spending wow. their summers. There. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the home that you grew up into? First home. Yeah. They, they, the first home there was a, was like a plywood cabin. Yeah. And then we moved into a bigger house cause it was, that cabin was like, I don't know, 18 by 12 or something. And it was my brother and me and my mom, my stepdad, wow. like classic style. Um, so then they were in a bigger house, but then when we left, when the kids left, they went back to that smaller house, but then they had to move it because the river bank had eroded in wow. to that site. Wow. So they're back in the original house, plus an addition, plus like six outbuildings, like yeah. classic village style. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. The compound. Yeah. It's, we call it Fort, Fort Mitchell. Fort Mitchell. My there stepdads. you go. Yeah. Compound. Better said. Awesome. <laughs> well, Luke, thank you for sharing all your your knowledge and your expertise. Your on all things. <laughs> yeah. yeah man. And uh, and the, and the Packraft Handbook. I mean, I think that's a must-have Alaska book because totally. I mean, not only are you learning about Packraft, but you're learning about survival and things that you should know 
being an Alaskan if you're trying to get out there and, and, and do things. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for uh, all that you're doing and, and putting it out there, and we look forward to that new book <laughs> coming out. Coming out yeah. in yeah. six years. Got, Nordic, yeah, six Nordic, Nordic years. skiing? Nordic, <laughs> Nordic ski handbook? Yeah. <laughs> Jackie? Yeah, lots of hot tips. We need we need more hot tips on where to go skate, where it's clear for sure. I think I'm enjoying that Facebook group and get after it. But really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to reading the book. Awesome. Uh, I haven't read the pack rafting book yet, but I'm stoked about it. And I'm sure now that I have your personal phone number, I'm going to be calling <laughs> and asking for device. Yeah, we device. need to be on the personal uh, text. Like, we're going to go skating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds oh, good. Yeah. Are the, you com- the lasers are coming. The lasers. lasers. <laughs> are you coming to the game meet party? Oh man, I saw that. I'm gonna be. It's while I'm out of. Oh, this next nice you're going, you're on we'll, we'll save now. you some of that freezer burn moose. Yeah, yeah. There, there we go. go. Yeah. 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 When I was in Takatna coming off this, this I did a road trip. Jesse had had shot a moose that day. Uh huh. So tenderloin that like three hours later. Oh, yeah. nice, man. So good. <laughs> so good. So I got. Yeah. I, I've got my got my treat recently. Got your fix. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, Luke, uh, good luck to you uh, on your adventures. Yeah, and finishing your little, you know, <laughs> your um, uh, Denali, um, Molly, Molly of yeah. Denali. Yeah, yeah, I want to see uh, that expedition. tattoo. Okay. Oh yeah, full you post on make Instagram. It a thing. Yeah, a face tattoo. <laughs> 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 Permanent. Yeah, Luke Mel, thank you, Alaska. Thank you for listening. Stay wild. You remember my speaking to you of what I call your overcautiousness? Are you not overcautious? When you assume that you cannot do what the enemy is constantly doing? The Alaska Wild Project podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Barney Sports Chalet, supplying hunters with the best hand-selected gear since 1963. The exclusive home of Frontier Gear, built for the rugged Alaskan terrain. Your one-stop shop for all your outdoor needs. Visit Barney's today at 906 West Northern Lights. Arbor Digital, the forefront of digital assets, cryptocurrencies, and wealth management, providing a low-cost, research-based investment strategy for Alaskans looking to invest their hard-earned money. Visit acminc.com today to put your money to work. Tailored Restoration 24-Hour Emergency Home Services, helping Alaskans restore their dreams since 1972. Services include fire, water, mold, post-emergency cleaning, repair, and remodeling. Give them a call in Anchorage, Eagle River, Matsu, or Fairbanks. Hit them up at tailoredrestorationalaska.com. Total Truck and Alaska Overlander, Alaska's premier supplier for custom automotive accessories and overlanding products, providing all-inclusive rental vehicles and trailers custom outfitted to explore the Alaskan backcountry with a unique and convenient traveling experience. Serrano's Mexican Grill, two locations, one on Tudor, one on Northern Lights. The Northern Lights location has their new tequila bar. Check it out. Also see their daily specials at serranosmexicangrill.com. TheTreeHouseAK.com, located at 341 Boniface Parkway, Alaska's own and grown cannabis and CBD store. Ask the bud tender what the strain of the day is to get your 10% off. The Treehouse, where the culture lives. The Connoisseur Lounge, Alaska's premier locally owned and operated cannabis retailer, located in the heart of Palmer, Alaska. Their cultivated products include Snowcap Romance, Aurora Haze, Superglue, and much more. Find them at theconnoisseurlounge.net. 
AKO Farms, located in Sitka, Alaska, built from the ground up with concentrates as their single motivation, with exclusive products such as their sugar wax, full-spectrum diamond sauce cards, and more. Ask your local bud tender about AKO. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under the influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For the use of only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children, and marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. The Bait Shack, located on Ship Creek upstream of the bridge. Can't miss the bright red shack. They are the go-to fishing gear rental and guide service on Ship Creek. Tight lines and fish on. Come hook into the action with them. Hit them up at thebaitshackak.com. Anchortown Dogs, located on 4th Avenue across from the old 4th Avenue Theater. Look for the blue and gold umbrella. From reindeer dogs to bomb euros, they've got you covered. Anchortown Dogs, your local gourmet hot dog and sausage cart. Crude Magazine, Alaska-based media outlet using the last frontier as a springboard to discover larger truths about the cultures of our great state. Read more at crudemag.com. Lawn Pro AK, Alaska's year-round professional property maintenance team. Services include snow and ice management, weekly lawn care, and more. Get your free estimate today at lawnproak.com. Double Shovel Cider Company, located off of Arctic and 58th, handcrafted Alaskan-made colonial ciders. They also have a tap room downtown on the corner of 5th and E. Stop by today and taste an award-winning cider. Lady with a Plan, your own Alaska event planner. From scouting the perfect location to planning the tiniest details. Specializing in event management and production for intimate social gatherings. Find Lady with a Plan on Instagram. Should you not claim to be at least his equal in prowess and act upon the claim? I say try. If we never try, we shall never succeed. This proposition is a simple truth. And it's too important to be lost sight of for a moment. If we cannot beat the enemy where he now is, we never can. It is all easy if our troops march as well as the enemy. And it is unmanly to say they cannot do it.